This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, the Mountain West Conference is kicking the tires of the Pac-12 Conference. It's poking around it, looking under the hood, trying to find out if there's something there for the Mountain West Conference or maybe part of the Mountain West Conference. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. Really interesting stuff coming out of the Mountain West as I talk to a variety of different universities and officials, administrators, athletic directors, executives, in some cases presidents, university presidents, uh, who are all sort of going, hey, how do... How does the Mountain West Conference, and ultimately maybe Oregon State and Washington State, how do they benefit from the chaos of last Friday? I still can't wrap my head around the idea that on last Friday morning at O'Dark 30, the Board of Trustees at the University of Oregon held a emergency meeting. And I don't know, have you seen the video of the emergency meeting? Have you uh, have you looked at it? You know, I had uh, I had seen it and heard about it reported, and I read the minutes, but I never actually, until today, went and watched the video of the actual meeting between uh, Carl Schultz, John Carl Schultz, the new president at Oregon, Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon and the trustees themselves. It was an interesting study, and I have to be honest, I was a little disappointed in the board of trustees. Like, maybe I'm not privy to the idea that they may have had some discussions that were not part of the nine-minute meeting that was utilized to approve the Big Ten move for the University of Oregon, but I didn't hear anybody advocating on behalf of student-athletes I didn't hear anybody asking questions about the travel demands. I didn't hear anybody uh, on that board of trustees interested in anything more than hearing that it was going to be good for Oregon to be in the Big Ten Conference athletically, and it wasn't going to threaten the self-sufficiency of the athletic department. In fact, there were only two questions asked, and one of the uh, trustees said, you know, raised her hand and said, you know, you know, do I understand the, you know, it's good to hear. I understand this is not going to threaten uh, the self-sufficiency of the athletic department, and um, it was a dog and pony show. Like you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that Oregon should have come out with a different. But I would have had some questions for the board of trustees. If I'm the board of trustees, I raise my hand. I say, hey, um, how is this Braves women's basketball team? How is the travel demand there? Have we considered it? How is it going to affect the softball team? How is it going to affect baseball? Is there any way to do this without involving those sports? Uh, you know, I know it's an emergency meeting. You got people who are essentially uh, on the video 
who have just woken up on Friday morning, and in some cases, they're off into their day, they're in their offices, in other cases, you can tell they're clearly at home. Uh, a couple of the trustees were outside, and of course, uh, you know, if you haven't seen the video, you know that the chair of the board of trustees, a uh, gentleman named Steve Halwerda, was out uh, was out playing golf. He was on the golf course, just playing through. He's in the sand trap, <laughs> you know. Like it's just kind of silly when you think about it all. Uh, we're going to get a visit from Pat Chun. He is the Washington State Athletic Director. We're going to get a visit from Mike Parker. He is the voice of Oregon State Athletics. He will be with us on the show today. Uh, we will also talk to Connor Letourneau, who's at the San Francisco Chronicle as a senior writer and an enterprise investigative reporter who's working hard on the Stanford and Cal front to figure out what is going on with the Cardinal, what is going on with the Bears, and how it all matters in the big picture. We're going to talk about a lot of other things. Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time on what I think Oregon can do in the Big Ten Conference. How much can they matter? Where do they rank as an athletic department? Uh, what's the challenge for Dan Lanning? What is the right, uh, you know, the right rivalry that you want to see develop and flourish in the Big Ten Conference? I know that for me, it's been just really sobering, even as a media member who doesn't really have a dog in the fight. You know, I cover these programs, I cover these teams, I cover this conference. We on this show, we have had all twelve athletic directors. We've had five or six of the university presidents on this show. We have had athletes from Utah and Arizona and Arizona State and. Uh, you know, and USC and UCLA on the show over the years. And and it's really kind of sobering to me to, to think about a Pac-12 conference gone or the Pac-12 as we know it gone. And then also to kind of, uh, you know, wrap my head around the idea that um, Oregon State's got to figure out how to matter in this next cycle of college football, survive in advance, so to speak. Beavers in a in a precarious position. And and look, I know if they join the Mountain West Conference, if that's what it comes to, and they join the Mountain West Conference, I think they're going to have some inherent advantages. I think in most years, the conference champion in the Mountain West Conference will be a top 10 ranked or a top 12 ranked conference champion. It will get them into the playoff. And so there is a, there is a silver lining here if the objective is simply to get to the playoff. If you consider that the win for Oregon State or Washington State, the Mountain West Conference isn't the best, the, the worst option, but it does leave you severely underfunded. There's about twenty to twenty-five million dollars in revenue that was lost by Oregon State when Oregon decided to go to the Big Ten. Uh, the Apple TV media rights deal evaporates, and now Oregon State is left with uh, maybe a five or seven or ten million dollar a year media rights package uh, with the Mountain West Conference or whatever develops out of the Pac-12. There's still that looming in the background. But I want to take you inside that trustees meeting from Friday. If you haven't heard it, it's a pretty interesting seven or eight minutes, okay? And you basically got Zoom call with the board of trustees. Um, you've got the, the chair of the board of trustees who's on the golf course, who's running the meeting. He's like literally standing in the fairway, and then he's in the sand trap, and then it's just ridiculous. And then you've got John Carl Schultz, the new president at Oregon, talking like a guy who understands like he's been here for 20 years when he hasn't. And you got Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon. Bless his soul. You know he's just carrying the wishes of Phil Knight out, and he's trying to sell it to the rest of the trustees. And, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a, a room full of trustees who I wish at least would have raised some questions, at least raised some objections. But you're going to hear it here. And I want you to tell me what you think. Here is the board meeting 
from the Oregon Board of Regents on last Friday. I'm Carl Schultz. I'm the 19th president of the University of Oregon, and it is a delight to be in front of the trustees today. And thank you very much on a short notice for, for gathering. Last March, this group uh, offered me the opportunity and the privilege of a lifetime to become the 19th president of the University of Oregon. And we collectively have talked about a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams for the university. But one of the common themes across that, and one of the animating factors that every morning <laughs> when I get up that I think about in the team and the, the great colleagues that I work with think about is how can the university be in a better position five years, 10 years, and 15 years from now? And we have been given an opportunity that helps that agenda, to help University of Oregon be even greater, even stronger five, 10, 15 years from now. So earlier today, we've been provided an invitation to join the Big Ten Conference. The Big Ten Conference is the finest athletic academic conference in the country. The activities, it's not just a premier athletic conference, though it is, but it's also a premier academic conference that takes the academic responsibilities of universities very seriously through activities like the Big Ten Academic Alliance and other efforts. And so the opportunity for the University of Oregon, I think, is very, very positive. So we're convening today where I'm requesting from the trustees the authority to execute all necessary in instruments and actions to finalize this opportunity. I'll add that we remain an enthusiastic member of the PAC-12 conference. And so to be specific, I'm proposing that we assign our granting rights to the Big Ten Conference following the conclusion of the existing PAC-12 contract, which will occur in August 2024. And I'll be happy to answer any questions, but uh, I would love uh, for Rob to add whatever he would like to add. Great. Uh, thank you, President Schultz. Uh, thank you, Steve, and thank you, trustees. Uh, I, I share Carl's enthusiasm uh, and vision uh, for the University of Oregon. Obviously, I've had the good fortune to be here a little longer um, and have experienced uh, similar changes in the 13 years, but we've stayed true to our principles, which is student-athlete experience, uh, connecting with our alumni and fans, and uh, competing for championships. Uh, and this is the opportunity in a rapidly shifting collegiate athletic space uh, to provide that premier conference, uh, both academically and athletically uh, for our Oregon Ducks. So uh, I appreciate President Schultz being available uh, around the clock uh, at a lot of non-traditional hours. Uh, and again, appreciate the support of everyone as we work through this process. There's Rob Mullins and Carl Schultz talking now, setting up the stage for the Oregon uh, Board of Regents uh, last Friday. And I thought it was really interesting that Rob Mullins framed the mission at Oregon first and foremost about student-athlete experience. And I think from a football standpoint, moving to the Big Ten Conference does enhance the experience for football players. It gets them on the stage. It gets them on linear TV. It gets them uh, NIL opportunities in front of them. Um, I don't agree that it works for everybody else. Um, now comes the time where the regents, the trustees at Oregon, can discuss 
and ask some questions and take some roll call. That's how these meetings work. All right. Uh, do we have any questions from the trustees, either for President Schultz or for Rob? Hey, hey Steve, I have a question. Uh, President Schultz, are you pleased with the terms that were provided by the, the Big Ten? Well, Marcia, thanks. Thanks very much for the question. Uh, as uh, you uh, know, we are being granted partial shares of the full share of membership with the, of the Big Ten during the first parts of this deal. Uh, the shares are more generous than uh, what we think these shares are more generous than what was available to the University of Oregon as our new media deal was being uh, negotiated. And we will be full share members upon the new media negotiations for the Big Ten. And so we are confident that this will provide the resources for Rob and our fantastic athletic teams to continue to compete. One of the things I'm most proud of at the University of Oregon is that we are not, for lack of better words, cross-subsidizing the athletic department with the tuition paid by students and their families. And this is an important step to continue that and so that we can provide both a world-class educational experience and a world-class athletic experience. So yes, coming into this deal, very excited about the opportunity. All right, there's John Carl Schultz, the new president, just on the job for a month at Oregon, taking the first question from Oregon's Board of Regents on Friday. The first question had to do with money. Didn't have to do with student-athlete welfare, didn't have to do with travel, Hey, do you like the terms of the deal? And Schultz also laid out the idea that it's a partial share for Oregon in the first six years of the deal. We now know it's about an average of about $35 million a year for Oregon. They were going to get $25 million in year one from the Apple deal. It's a better deal for the Ducks. They have this option available to them. It's clear there. But here's where I expect the regents on this Friday morning who have gathered in this special meeting to ask some questions and, and really – talk about this issue from all angles if they're going to talk about it uh, this is what ensued after the first question thank you and i i agree that having the self-sustaining athletic program is just a key part of the university so appreciate that wonderful achievement yes president schultz you shared a number of key comments in, in your remarks. Is there anything else you wanted to share uh, that, you know, what is beneficial to the University of Oregon yep. for joining the Big Ten? Any, any other comments on that? Well, Steve, th thank you for the question. I, I've already, I've mentioned that the Big Ten is not just a premier athletic conference, but it is a premier academic conference. And as Dean of the College of Letters and Science at my former institution, and then as Provost, I've spent 10 years observing and in some ways helping guide the Big Ten Academic Alliance, where I see the collaboration across universities and things that, that really matter in the academic space. Moreover, I mean, Rob can testify, our coaches are really enthusiastic about this opportunity. The, the student athletes we recruit want to compete against the best, and they know that there is that opportunity to compete 
And then a lot of our alums are incredibly excited because our games are going to be available on linear linear format. They're going to be available on Fox. They're going to be available on ESPN. They're going to be available in CBS. They're going to be available uh, uh, with our partners. And I then the last thing, I'm getting really enthusiastic comments from our uh, director of enrollment management. who says, Carl, you know, I wasn't really involved, but this is awesome. And I think it is. I think there's a, a great deal of excitement. And I think all of that combined to be of benefit for the University of Oregon. There's the first question, or excuse me, the first two questions asked of John Carl Schultz. And, um, you know, look, I find part of his answer to be a little disingenuous because I do know that they did not consult with all student athletes on campus. They did not consult with all the coaches on campus. But but we all know that what drives these decisions ultimately is money and football. And I do believe they consulted with the football coaches, and I think they studied that hard. And, again, I've said this a number of times in the last four or five days that, uh, you know, Oregon's got a fiduciary duty to itself. It sucks that Oregon's decision ends up harming Oregon State and that Washington's decision ends up harming Washington State. And the decision as itself ends up splintering the conference in a million pieces. All of that stinks. But I just wanted to, I guess I expected from the Regents some questions about, you know, the the impact on the athletes. Some questions about, hey, you know, uh, when you compare it to the Apple TV deal, you know, is it that much of a no-brainer? And I'm not hearing that. Here's the final couple minutes of that meeting on Friday. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. Are there any other questions from any other trustees? Okay, hearing none, before we take a, a motion, one on behalf of the trustees, I want to thank Carl, Rob, all the work you've done. Uh, it's been countless hours in the last, well, in the last 48 hours or more. I also want to thank all the trustees for taking time at the last minute from whatever you were doing to be on this for a special meeting. Um, then do we have a motion from the trustees to accept the invitation to join the Big Ten? So moved. Second. Any discussion? Any discussion is where I expect, you know, four or five of the trustees who are not looking all that enthusiastic on the video. I don't know if they're for it or against. I can't tell at this point. But it's where I I expect some people to go, hey, well, you know, we're breaking up 108 years of tradition. We're we're throwing away um, we're throwing away the Pac-12 conference here. The impact of our departure would splinter this conference or what would it do to the conference? Rob, tell us as the athletic director, uh, what would happen here? Um, what is the impact to uh, Oregon State? I, I get it. We're the trustees of Oregon, but, you know, should we be thinking about the other public institution in our state, given that we are both reliant upon uh, the state of Oregon for for some funding? Um, you know, just some questions here. You know, have we what does Dan Lanning have to say about this? Um, you know, does this does this mean that uh, we're, we're selling out to TV here? Are we all comfortable with that? There should have been maybe. Maybe a question. Just a question. Somebody raise a hand. Objection. No. Offer a thought. Somebody. I don't know. I'm in the business of opinion. I got to think somebody on that board of trustees, those board of regents, had an opinion. Instead, we got crickets. We got silence. 
trustees were like, yeah, I got I to gotta go finish my golf round. Uh, here's the end of the meeting. Tim, for this vote, I'd like to do a roll call. Will you take care of that? Yep. Aaron? Yes. Boyle? Aye. Evans Jackman, she's having tech issues and dropped off. Um, Fick? Aye. Halwerda? Aye. Horniker? Aye. Madison? Aye. Moses? Aye. Seeley? Aye. Stormont is excused. Tyson? Aye. Olam? Aye. Bull? Aye. Warden? Aye. And back to Evans Jackman now that she's with us. We're voting on it? I, I don't know what we're We are voting. Voting on We're voting. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Um, can I say one more thing then? Sure. So uh, I just want to express gratitude, not only to, to the trustees, so thank you trustees, but also uh, the Big Ten Conference for this invitation, as well as our PAC-12 colleagues. Uh, you know, we're human beings, so we're capable of more than one sentiment at the same time. And our PAC-10 colleagues have been uniformly very, very gracious. And then I have to acknowledge everyone has kind of given a shout out, but you only know the half of it to, to Rob Mullins, who has just been phenomenal throughout this and the number of calls and just being uh, really, really extraordinary in this. So Rob and your colleagues, your support has just been awesome and your work has just been invaluable. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, and uh, the meeting is adjourned. And that's how the Pac-12 ended. The Oregon Ducks head off to the Big Ten Conference. And yes, I'm going to say it again. They had a duty what, to do what was in their best interest. But I just thought as I went today, to, I, you know, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody on the call spoke for the rest of the student body. Maybe somebody on the call asked a question on behalf of the volleyball program or the women's basketball program. Maybe somebody, one of the board of regents members, one of the trustees, you know, put a hand up and said, hey, you know, I understand that college athletics is a lot about money and do we really need this? Could Is this a decision we have to make now? Uh, in the end, it may end up being the right decision for the University of Oregon. And they may have got the decision right. Did I like that one of the most important decisions in the 108 years of the Pac-12 conference was made by uh, a guy walking around the golf course as he's voting and running the meeting? No. I get it. It was an emergency meeting. Uh, did I like that there wasn't a single nay? I kind of thought maybe somebody would be like, ah, you know, I think we're selling out here. We belong in the Pac-12. I actually think the regions probably... We're just going along with what they thought the athletic department and the de facto king of the athletic department, Phil Knight, wanted them to do. They are beholden, in a way, to Phil Knight, and I've wondered at different times if that's a healthy model or not. You know, I don't blame Phil Knight for spending his money where he wants to spend his money, but if you're going to take his money, you're not going to vote against him if he wants to be in the Big Ten Conference. And you better believe that Phil Knight wants to be in the Big Ten Conference because that's where Oregon is today. But I just thought as I listened to that, that, 
you know, I would hear a little bit more on the thoughtful end of the discussion. Our radio show all last week, I thought, was far more thoughtful than the trustees and the regents in that meeting. We had a lot of people picking up the decision and dissecting it from different viewpoints, asking questions, wondering if it's worth it. Uh, in the end, you might end up in the same place, but I just don't like how they arrived there. Stephen, your reaction to that is you heard that that uh, nine-minute meeting on Friday that ultimately ended the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, they didn't seem enthusiastic about anything. Like, it was it was so blah about the entire thing, and you're right. They didn't bring up any questions. Nothing. Um, it, it, it just seemed as if they didn't care, and it was just inevitable that this was happening, when in actuality it's like they were the reason why the Pac-12 blew up is their decision it was once they decided to leave in oregon everyone else decided to leave as well as everyone else was on board to stay in the pac-12 and so it's just it's sad to hear like that nine minute meeting that's what broke up the pac-12 and it's just like it wasn't very exciting they weren't excited about it it was there was no enthusiasm carl schultz was a little enthusiastic you know talking about you know being on linear tv and that was about it it was the money is it matter there was no questions raised about any of the other student athletes which again it's like I yeah. get it. I'm with, I'm with you. Like, I understand the decision to go to the Big Ten, but at the same time, like, this puts a lot of strain on all the other athletes that don't play football because football travel, as Chip Kelly said, it's easy. It's once a week. You can do it. But everyone else is playing multiple times a week. That's going to be a tough road trip. Yeah, like, it's going to be a mental, be a mental hurdle that they're going to have to battle, and no one defended those the other sports. No one defended them. I would have been a nightmare in that meeting because I would have said, wait a minute, let's all pull up a map of the United States and just take a look at this, make sure before we vote on this that we are comfortable with what we are doing. Because the criticism of USC and UCLA that went on for like a year, including criticism on this show and Oregon fans, Oregon State fans, everybody was critical of what UCLA and USC were doing. They're selling out. They're chasing the money. They're going after the money in the, in the Midwest. Bill Walton railing on them. All of that still holds true. So let's pump the brakes a little bit and let's talk about this. I want to take a couple calls, and we've got Pat Chun, the Washington State AD, coming up uh, here shortly. Rob and Sandy. Rob, go ahead. Your reaction. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of wonder. I hear what you're saying completely, but I wonder, and I'm sure, that all of these people had quite a bit of information coming to them beforehand and in individual conversations about what, was coming down the pike. They wouldn't just show up at this meeting and say yes or say no. They they would have had conversations uh, coming from the athletic department. How does Phil Knight feel? What you know? What are the yeah. and plenty of time oh. to ask and answer questions. Yeah, but I I still think on the record, if you're a regent, wouldn't you have wanted to advocate not just for football and money and at, you know because I when they held up the idea of student athlete welfare. You know, the, the best interest of the student-athletes coming first, I was like, eh, best interest of football players. And it's why I think Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly had the, this great comment where he starts talking about, hey, you know, football should just splinter off and do its own thing. That works. Because I don't think it's a, that big a deal for Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks football program six times a year to get on a plane and travel, you know, three, four, five, six hours I don't think it's that big a deal, but I do think it's a huge deal when you start asking your basket women's basketball team to do it and you start asking all the programs that don't have a charter. And of course the the regents are going to get they're going to get written materials in front of the meeting. Of course they're going to have they've had previous meetings on the subject. Um you know, they probably were all leaning in that direction anyway. But I'll tell you this, I I just wish one of the regents would have advocated for something other than, "Hey, do you like the terms of the deal? All right, this is good for us." 
you know, go Ducks. And it, was, and it wasn't as if it hadn't been criticized. There were numerous Duck, especially women's player athletes, at the school that had tweeted out things like, does anybody care yeah. about us? Has anybody thought about the other sports? There, no one no one even defended any of those people that were playing other sports. And, and again, I'm going to say, uh, we'll end up in the same position. But often, even in our own household, when Anna and I are making a decision on something that impacts the household, I we will talk around it. We will have a discussion around it before deciding what to do. Is this really good for us? Is it asking too much of the kids? Is this financially going to work for us? Is it, you know, we we have that kind of conversation. I wish I would have heard a more thoughtful final deliberation from the Board of Regents. I just didn't hear it. Sam's in Portland. Sam, go ahead. John, I've been listening over the last, uh, you know, week and, and everything, and I'm just trying to figure something out. It seems like there's something missing, and I'm not sure what it is. Listening to that, the, the board talk, I agree 100% with you that nobody pushed back. Nobody had any questions. There wasn't, you know, somebody voting no. And the other thing is, you know, I'm a beaver believer, but I'm not here to crush on the ducks. I'm trying to understand, maybe I missed it, you could tell me, how are the ducks better today than they were before they made this decision? Uh, you know, when it comes to image and likeness, when it comes to the, uh, the way they're seen with recruiting across the country, you know, you look at the, the best basketball player, women's basketball player out of college in the last five years from the University of Oregon, the, the highest-paid NFL quarterback recently from the University of Oregon, the track program for a long time. I don't understand, other than money, and you have Uncle Phil, how are they better now in the Big Ten? They're li- less likely to make it to the playoffs, I think. Yeah. How are they better? And, and for me, with all that, it just seems it seems like there's something missing. There's a missing yeah. element that we're not seeing that made them or that decided to, to go to Big Ten. I wish yeah. them luck, but I, I don't get it, man. I don't get what it. I, what I was told internally by somebody who was consulted on campus at Oregon was that it wasn't a no brainer, that they were really looking for, through a twenty year window, not a two year window. And that there were some risks in the Apple deal. There were some upfront year one, year two risks. It's possible that the Pac-12 could have taken that Apple deal, made 25, 27, 30 million, and then maybe it plateaued. And then maybe you're, uh, you know, you got instability in the conference. And then all of a sudden, can you get to the Big Ten in three, four, five years? So I think there was some fear factor there probably going on as well. I would have, I wish I would have heard some of that in the Regents meeting. I still think. Oregon's got to do what's best for itself. The Pac-12 brought a TV deal that was not as good as the Big Ten's deal, was not as good as the Big 12's deal, brought it in front of its members, and tried to sell them on the idea, hey, it's got a lot of upside. On that note, we're going to hear from Pat Chun. The Washington State Athletic Director will be joining us next. Stick around for it. Well, we played the University of Oregon Board of Regents uh, audio from Friday's meeting. I was disappointed that uh, there weren't better questions asked by the regents. There wasn't more pushback. Seemed like it was a foregone conclusion on Friday morning. What was happening for the rest of the conference? Well, here to talk about it, Pat Chun. He is the athletic director at Washington State University, and uh, he is uh, kind enough to join us. Thanks for joining us. John, always good to hear your voice. Uh, Glad to be on with you and your listeners. Give us an idea of what Friday was like in your world. So um, if, I, if let me start Thursday evening ended with President a conversation with President Schultz, uh, where he indicated to me that there was consensus to sign the deal the following morning, morning the, the, the existing deal on the table. Um, both of us are pretty pragmatic people. 
Um, you know, we recognize that nothing's done until it's signed. Uh, the following morning, he had called and said that um, he had bad news that uh, uh, Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten. And typically, uh, my first my my first reaction when any any type of quote unquote crisis hits, I text Bill Stevens, they meet me in my office in ten minutes, and because <laughs> <laughs> when you're in Pullman, you can be ten minutes away from the office. And the only shock of my morning was Bill wasn't already in the office, and he had to meet me here. So. I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, it's um, you know, you have a, 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 a over a century of a conference. It's how it's impacted student athletes, sports, culture in the West Coast. Uh, how it's unified people, and um, you know, I just met with some of our media here, and you know, ever you know, this is really a failure of leadership on many levels, uh, not just on one person's shoulders, but many many people's shoulders, um, and it's it's. Um, it's it's just it's where where we're at today is you know is you know what was, you know you probably would have thought this was uh, unfathomable years ago but it's a reality in this environment of college athletics and um, now Washington State and some other schools that remain in the Pac-12 have to you know work to figure out what next steps look like. You know, it, on Thursday morning, I was told that. It, Oregon was the key. And so I report that, you know, if Oregon stays, Washington will stay. It seemed like the conference had held off the Big 12 coming after the border schools in Utah and that, you know, it really was going to stay together. It matches what you said. But is it as simple to say that if Oregon stayed, do you believe the Pac-12 sticks together? You know, I don't know who buckled first, which needs buckled first. Um, I do know that you know, whatever happened between that Thursday evening and Friday morning, you know, transformed college athletics and West Coast football as we know, or West Coast sports as we know it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, 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 uh, I, I guess I've never dove, dove into who, who was the first mover, but ultimately both those schools electing to leave was essentially the end of the Pac 12. You guys feel betrayed at Washington State by Washington? Um, I know Cougs do, and and I, I would just and and I believe those are uh, appropriate emotions, but they need to be expanded because this is like I said earlier, this is the totality of a failed leadership and um, you know a flawed vision, uh, failed implementation. Um, you know, and then you fast forward, it's it's you know we this this league has been mis- grossly mismanaged. I mean, one could say for over a decade, and you just can't operate anymore and. That led to uh, dissension, acrimony, um, and then ultimately to dissolution of the conference. Pat Chun is the athletic director at Washington State. Um, a lot of people are uh, in shock and absorbing that, and as you said, frustrated. You don't have time to do that as an administrator. You've got to pivot along with your university president and start to get busy um, figuring out where you fit in the landscape. Uh, what are those initial steps on Friday morning as this is unfolding and, you know, you're summoning people to your office? Are you hiring consulting firms? Are you uh, are you already well down that road? What what are those first few hours like? Well, I think first, it, it you know, it, the whole, you know, when you go back to Friday, you know, one, this was always a potential outcome. So it's not like we were oblivious to, to the potential of this. It's just it's pretty clear as we strategize the future of Washington State, our best option was always going to be the Pac-12 staying together going forward and trying to figure out um, what its next iteration looked like because you're you know this better than most, John. It's 
you know, the second we get a TV deal signed, um, realignment's still happening, conference movement's still happening, nothing changes. We just would have bought ourselves some time to figure out what the next iteration of college football looked like. Maybe with the exception, though, we had a unique partner in Apple that we time would tell did that allow us to, to operate um, with a little bit more offense than we've had in the past because, you know, we've had failed strategies. It's almost no strategy, it felt like, the last couple of years. So, um, so you know, Friday we kind of moved in slow motion uh, just because you're trying to just get a sense on what the other schools are doing. Um, you know, it's, you know, the, of, of the four school left, four schools left, Obviously, the other three athletic directors, we've all been communicative and talked through the weekend and really just, you know, working with President Schultz to figure out, um, you know, we got to figure out what what our best options are. We got to try to keep some options um, alive. And, you know, where we sit today, we're going to take the best option to go forward. And we just have to identify what that looks like. We, We, you know, we had you know, what is today, Wednesday, we had a student, we met with our student athletes yesterday, uh, at least those are in t- that are in town. Uh, so for us, it was, um, I think, football, maybe men's basketball, volleyball, and women's soccer. Uh, and we spent about, you know, 15, 20 min- minutes with them, uh, President Schultz and I, we got some feedback on, on you know, just kind of what their thoughts were. And, you know, it's a hard time because you don't have any real answers. So when there's a vacuum of information, there's just, there's just more consternation. But, you know, we also wanted to remind them that, that, you know, the experiences that they've been used to in the Pac-12 will be the same this year. And our goal is to, to put, them, put ourselves in a situation that their experiences will be similar going forward. And um, ultimately, we got to do, as an athletic department, what our athletes do every single day and take it play by play, pitch by pitch, you know, possession by possession. And we got to control what the controllables are. And, you know, that, that's what we have to discipline ourselves to do. The decision tree that sits in front of Washington State now, is that first fork in the road trying to figure out, hey, do all four schools fit together? Or what is that first fork in the road that you need to sort of deal with? I think maybe not fit together because I think history has shown we do. So it's just more um, are there four schools when when all the dust continues to settle uh, going forward together? Is that three? Is that two? Is that one? Is that none? Uh, so those are that that's really that your your instincts are correct. That is kind of the first step. And, and you know, and, and when we're, we're continuing to develop what we can develop as options on the go forward. But that that really is the first step to see. All right. When the dust, you know, temporarily settles, where are these four schools at? And, you know, what 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 optionality does that give us? The the geography of all of this is insane. Even as Cal and Stanford are looking at the ACC, and I realize why they're doing it, it's insane. The Big Ten geography is insane. Has college athletics lost its mind? Yes, <laughs> yes, it it is. But but let me let me rephrase that. Market forces are driving us apart, and it's no secret they're driven by television. Um, you know, and, and there, there's, there's, there is a lack of leadership or no leadership, depending on your perspective, in college football, and college football is driving these decisions. So, I mean, this, this is all, and I think you and I have talked about it, about this. These are all lessons in leadership. The Pac-12 failed because, because of failed leadership. Uh, college football is fracturing right before our eyes because there's no leadership. So, at the end of the day, when there's a void of leadership, these are the outcomes that you have to deal with and you have to figure out how to, how to operate around 
it's it's just crazy to me. It, it, it you know, and Chip Kelly comes out and says, "Hey, we should just separate major college football." And I think the chorus was, "That would be great for the non-revenue generating sports who are getting dragged along for the football ride." Do you feel like that decision is, um, you know, in the next couple years, or is that a ten, fifteen year decision where football maybe has to decide if it wants to be part of the rest of the college athletic department? I think if we're really true to our values and we care, really care about student athletes, those decisions um, need to be made sooner than later. But we all recognize what's driving college football apart. And I salute Chip Kelly because, um, you know, such a simple solution <laughs> is, is at the ready for Chip Kelly. And he's not, and, uh, and it's odd that his simple solution obviously has uh, could work, but it would take so much leadership to get so many uh, competing interests to align for the betterment of the whole, which which right now is not happening. Pat Chun is the athletic director of Washington State. Uh, Oregon State, Washington State, we've, we've kind of viewed those two schools as maybe having uh, a similar predicament right now. Um, the Mountain West Conference could offer a haven there. There seems to be in some enthusiasm. Maybe that's a fallback plan. I don't know. But there seems to be some access to the playoff in that conference. If you can compete at the top of that conference, you can get into the playoff. Is that enough, uh, you know, to 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 make Washington State thrive, or do you need a TV deal that that comes with you know twenty thirty million dollars to to make your budget? Uh, I think it's all the above. Um, I think that's where we have to flesh out what is the best option for us, who is with us from what le- what's left of the Pac twelve. Um, and those are the types of decisions we have to make. But, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it, like, I, like I told our athletes, we're going to be okay. It's, it's going to be different, but we're going to be okay, and we just have to continue to figure out what checks the most boxes to allow us to keep going forward. There, there is a commitment at Washington State to compete at the highest levels. Uh, we're not going to let uh, a label or brand uh, define who we are because the reality, and you know our place, better than most covering us is we have never allowed the external world to define who we are at Washington state. Um, and that dates back to Jack Thompson, Mike Price, Drew Bledsoe, Gardner Minshew, Clay Thompson, Morgan Weaver, you go down the list. Um, uh, we're going to continue to fight. We're going to compete. Uh, one of our staff members reminded me that we've always had to, we've always had to punch above our weight uh, in the PAC 12. And we've always had to prove our doubters and naysayers wrong just by being the best we're supposed to be and that best has uh taken us to some of some of the highest plateaus of college athletics so um you know we'll we we will continue to be washington state uh we're not going to be apologetic for that and we're going to continue to fight forward do you want to play washington in a rivalry game or is it too raw right now uh, no, I, I've told people we are not going to make an emotional decision about playing the Apple Cup because, one, the pragmatic piece is football scheduling is complicated. Uh, two, is, is um, that is a national rivalry um, with national value, and we'll make a business decision based on hosting that game every other year and if a TV partner that we're uh, uh, working with um, – obviously sees the value which i would assume they would in that game we'll we'll make the right decision for for washington state based on based on um based on finances and based on uh you know current information as opposed to uh emotional based uh, uh decisions i think that's a pragmatic way to go about it it sounds like leadership um let me ask you this um you know 
for those of us who are walking around going, is there any going back? Um, I had an administrator in another conference, another conference commissioner, not in the western part of the United States, say that they believe that this will ultimately unwind itself five, ten years from now. Will there be anything to come back to? We don't know. But do you share that hope, that enthusiasm that some of this can be unwound, or do you think the ship has sailed? This is not over. And I've told my college administrator friends, don't be naive. Um, you know, we're labeled, Corvallis is labeled um, because of perceived television markets. You know, Cal and Stanford are labeled because uh, apparently academics is more important than athletics there. Um, we're here because of market-driven forces. Those are going to continue, unless there's fundamental changes in college athletics, which right now, because there's no leadership, there, there will not be. Uh, the leagues that are led well are going to continue to thrive. And the rest of us who are just moving along without any strategy, reactionary uh, to what they believe the market is telling them, reactionary to what their TV partners are telling them, uh, this is going to continue to happen. So um, I've told all our constituents, you know, where we're at today is not going to be where we're at tomorrow. Uh, no different. It's different than where we were at last week. Uh, but this thing is far from over because realignments happened for the last hundred years uh, and, and it will continue to happen. And really one until there's leadership, but two, um, it, it is it is part of college football. Pat John, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. All right, John. Have a good day. We'll talk to you right. soon. Great stuff there. Pat Chun, Washington State AD. Want your phone calls? 503-417-7575. Coming up, uh, we're going to hear from Mike Parker, Oregon State broadcaster. You heard from Pat Chun. Um, I want to take some calls. I'll take them off the top of the next segment. We'll jump right into Mike Parker's interview. Connor Letourneau, the San Francisco Chronicle, coming up as well. I thought Chun raised some great points about the lack of leadership in the Pac-12, the downfall, not really pointing a finger at Oregon. I think that's a fair outlook to take if you're the AD at Washington State. Really good stuff from Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, talking about the predicament that Washington State, and to some extent Oregon State, and maybe by extension Stanford and Cal find themselves in. This hour, we'll visit with Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal. Connor Letourneau, San Francisco Chronicle, will be with us coming up at uh, 424. Mike Parker, the voice of Oregon State Athletics, will be with us to kind of share his reaction. Maybe we'll talk some football, for crying out loud, with Parker. I want to take a phone call or two to set the stage for Parker. Uh, For those of you who were listening to Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State, what was your reaction to that? Ken is in Gresham. Ken, what would you think of Chun? Uh, like really like what he had to say. My only um, uh, disagreement with him is, yeah, I, 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 if this is correct, and this is one of the questions I had for you, um, I do blame Oregon. It is my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Friday morning everybody reached a decision. Uh, the Huskies and the Ducks were leaving, um, and they blew off a call with the rest of the uh, the rest of what was left of the Pac-12. Is that correct? Yeah. On Thursday night, everybody thought they were on board. Friday morning, the CEO group uh, met to all sign their grant of rights. And in fact, I'm told that some of them had already signed the grant of rights prior to finding out that Oregon and Washington, just a couple to few minutes before the meeting, ten minutes before the meeting informed uh, Commissioner George Kwiatkowski that they would not be joining the meeting. And 
then uh, the, there was no reason to have the meeting beyond that as everybody started scrambling, trying to figure out where they fit. Sure. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, that's pretty disrespectful. Uh, as a business person, you never, ever want to do that, even if you totally disagree with the people and can't come to some kind of agreement, because maybe in the future you're going to be. That's going to create all kinds of hard feelings for many, many years down the road. The other question I had for you, John, and I'll make it quick, is when did Phil Knight decide to play for second? Because basically the move to the pack to the Big Ten is playing for second. Again, if I understand correctly, you know, the, the yeah. six major conferences, if you win that, so if Oregon State wins the Mountain West Conference, the first six places of the football playoff expanded to 12 are taken up by those winners. Yeah. So that leaves six slots for the Ducks to be beat out. That means Alabama. That means probably a Michigan or an Ohio State. That means Penn State. That means USC. That means Texas. That means LSU. I mean, I could go on for another six or seven minutes like that. Right. I, I'm, I'm having a real tough time. I'm really struggling with that. And it's interesting that we haven't heard from him uh, that uh, – and he did mention, say something. I can't say something he said to the effect, yeah. um, you he, know, he so a, he wouldn't want to get in trouble. He was afraid that he would say something he would regret. As I, I reached out to Phil Knight last week to find out where his head is and his – uh, the intermediary said Phil uh, doesn't want to talk right now. He said that he's uh, afraid that he will say something he would regret. And ultimately, yeah, look, Oregon, maybe Oregon feels like they're playing for a Big Ten championship. You know, maybe they, they are confident they're not going to turn into Nebraska or Penn State. Maybe they're confident that they can compete with Ohio State. He went into Columbus and won. I kind of wonder how much Oregon's victory at Ohio State in Columbus a couple of few seasons ago factored into the idea where they went, you know, we can do this. Like, I don't know. It's really interesting. Mike, I want more of your phone calls. Roy's holding, Pat's holding. I do have lines open at 417-7575. Mike Parker, he's the voice of Oregon State. I want to bring him on here. Hey, Parker, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, man. Hey, John, first of all, Roy and Pat, I'm sitting here on hold. I loved, I love your calls. I want to thank you and John Wilner for keeping us all apprised and informed, entertained along the way, this, these crazy, this crazy ride we've been on with this conference. You guys have done, done us all a tremendous service. So I just, I appreciate that. And thanks well, for having yeah. me on. Thanks. I, I, I wish, you know, for me, the, the traditionalist of me that loves, Grew up on the Pac-10, loves the conference, loves the differences in the conferences. I'm really sad. I'm really broken up about this. And, you know, there's part of me, even now, even today, there's moments where I have where I'm like, gosh, this thing's not going to be there as it was for all those years, 108 years. That that gets to me a little bit, Parker. John, it's, um, it's, it's bewildering in the standpoint of it's the only thing I know. You say the Pac-10, well... You know, I'm a Pac-8 guy. I mean, I love the conference <laughs> when it was the Pac-8. Some of my early memories are, you know, listening to games, and I never saw O.J. play in person, but I followed his Trojans in 67 and 68, and those Rose Bowl games meant everything to us as kids growing up. And I listened to the 3 nothing game from, uh, you know, as a 9-year-old kid in L.A., listening to – this outfit up in Oregon State, who are these guys beating O.J. and the Trojans 3 nothing in that 67 season? I remember listening to parts of that game on the radio, and my buddies and I 
astonished about how could the Beavers be, you know, who are they? They just beat OJ and the Trojans. So for me, the footprint, you know, the, the conference has been special my entire life. So I'm still trying to get my mind around it. It, it. it blows my mind, to be honest with you, trying to figure it all out. But I was at practice today, John, and, and I was glad watching our guys, the, the Jonathan Smith and his coaches working with our guys. It felt like almost an insulated bubble world where they're at work. They look good. Jonathan's built something special. This team in 2023 still has it. I mean, it's, my enthusiasm went way up today, whatever sort of confusion or bewilderment I've had about what, what's happening in the world. And it is, it's strange. I felt much better leaving pro throw field today thinking about what's ahead. This season's going to be interesting, and you'll be on the broadcast. Uh, you know, Jonathan Smith's got a 10-win team that's focused on maybe taking the next step and getting to Las Vegas in the conference championship. Are they playing f- for something extra this year in your mind with this being kind of the last hurrah of this conference? I heard you, again, thanks. I heard you and Wilner talking about that yesterday as I was driving up to Longview, Washington to call a, a West Coast League Corvallis Knights playoff game. You guys kept me entertained and informed all the way up, and I heard you broach the subject that way. I think in our minds, you know, yours, mine, Beaver Nation, perhaps, it may feel that way. And maybe even to the guys, it'll feel that way a little bit. But the one thing that that really was clear to me today was these are young men invested in this season and the here and now. And there's other, you know, I mean, there's younger players that are excited about whatever the future may bring, too. I I, I believe that. So that I do think this this college football season is unique, and in the history of our conference, it's absolutely <clears throat> unique. But I don't think they are going to put more pressure upon themselves of we have to do this for the Beavers, we have to do this in the last hurrah of the conference, any more than they, they would have already put in terms of their own expectations for the year. So, yeah, I do think they're playing, if you view it as, you know, the last hurrah for the league, are they playing for something more? Maybe, but I don't think this group and these young men in this time are going to feel that maybe in the way we've been around this our whole lives do. You know, it feels that way to us. I think for these young men watching them at work, working on their craft today, they're just getting ready to go out and play every Saturday and have a big year. And I think they're excited about what they can do, but I don't think they're going to put any more pressure about what they must do. I like how you put that because it could turn into more pressure and a distraction mm-hmm. if people are viewing this as you know you you see that often in boxing you you know, you, you got to be focused on boxing can't be focused on the emotion that's around it. Right. Mike Parker is voice of Oregon State. Um, you know you, your memory's calling the Pac-12. Did did you have a favorite stadium that you would go to as a broadcaster that just brings back a smile or a memory and maybe it has to do with the fact of something you witnessed there? Well. Because I mentioned 67, 68, and going to them, my first trip to the Coliseum was in 1970. My dad took me to Ram games, but my first USC game was 70. Saw an amazing game, Anthony Davis returning two kickoffs for touchdowns and had six touchdowns in a game against Notre Dame in 72 in a national championship season. And I remember as a pretty young kid walking across campus, seeing all the tailgate 
walking into the Coliseum, how it looked, how it felt, and thought, wow, this is this is great. I love this, being with my dad, going to those games. So that, while there wasn't a great deal of success for the Beavers in the Coliseum during my time calling the games, I was grateful that what turns out to be likely the last time the Beavers will ever play USC there, the Beavers won. <laughs> the Beavers defeated the Trojans 45-27 to in the 2021 season, and the fact that I got to call that game in that time and their first win since Tommy Prothrow in 1960 made it pretty special to be in that place that I grew up in with my dad and great memories. So, I mean, it, all of the venues in the conference have meant something to me. They they always will. And, again, it's bewildering to think that, you know, that may not be part of our of our shared future but I do think there's still the great reason to be excited about wherever, you know, whatever it is, wherever we're going to be in, a, in our new incarnation, Oregon State has a lot to offer, and I'm excited about what, what this final season in the conference holds. Can you imagine the emotion for this upcoming Oregon-Oregon State Civil War, or whatever we want to call this <laughs> thing, the emotion of that <clears> final <throat> week, if a a berth to the Las Vegas Conference Championship gang is hanging in the balance. Uh, yeah. I think I think it has a chance to be one of the best games in the history of the rivalry. No doubt, John. And it'll feel a little different than the 09 game. You know, the 09 game was the one and only time in the history of the rivalry where it was a clear-cut winner goes to the Rose Bowl. There's no, there's no vote by Chancellor's like. In 64, when the Beavers won 7-6, to six, it was 10 days later that they found out, well, you got the vote, you, you're going to go to the Rose Bowl. You find out, you know, almost a, a week and a half later when you're voted in in a tie-break situation. And so the, the 64 game, the winner, in theory, was going to go, and the Beavers won and did. But only once in our shared history in 2009 was the winner take all, so to speak, a clear cut to Pasadena. It still pains. The loss and the outcome of that game still pains, but it was a tremendous college football game and a spectacle unlike any other I remember in the rivalry. But I agree with you, John, in theory, that if both teams are hot, both teams are, I heard you and Wilner talk about it yesterday, let's say for argument's sake, unbeaten going into that game, I'm not sure there will be a bigger game in the history of the rivalry than that one. All right, how'd they look on the field today when you got a peek at them? You know, that was that was what encouraged me, John. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading and, you know, reading Dashiell, who does such a great job, and, and you know, my schedule hasn't <clears throat> enabled me to get to practice. This is only the second time I've been able to get there, but I saw the full practice today and came away understanding why the Beavers are, you know, preseason number 18 in the coaches' poll maybe even undervalued at that. I think this is a really good team, the best team Jonathan has had, and he's coming off a 10-win year. I, I'm excited. Uh, I saw what DJ, I mean, DJ was spinning the ball effectively. Uh, there's good competition in that room, but, wow, there were a couple of times I looked up t- talking with Dashiell and Scheffler and other people, and, ooh, who threw that? And I looked up, and it was DJ, the ball coming out of his hand, impressively the running backs are good the o-line is good the d-line has been bolstered some questions in the secondary and an inside linebacker but they're so well coached in the back end by trent bray and the backers and as a coordinator 
I'm really excited, and I felt better today than I have for for a while, to be honest with you, just thinking about now that we can get more laser-focused on the season itself with the new stadium, really excited about what's ahead. All right. I want to do something special here, Parker. I'm gonna We're going to bring on a couple callers, and maybe you and I okay. can uh, kick around the answers. Uh, Roy in Portland. Roy, you're on with Mike Parker and myself. What's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? How you doing, John and Mike? Good. Hey, Roy. I, I, John, I was wondering if, uh, listening to Mike, uh, if maybe you could do some type of uh, documentary or some type of book about sort of like a last dance with the Chicago Bulls about the last season. I like go behind the scenes of each fan base of the Pac-12. I love and, that. And show how they and, – and talk to people that's involved in it and sort of like a last dance type of thing and cover the football season. I think that would be fascinating. Oh, I think it would be great. Pac-12 football season. I think it would be great. That'd be some Pulitzer Prize type stuff like that. (laughs) Roy, you're going to be the producer. You're going to be executive producer, Roy, in Portland. (laughs) I love that. That's a great idea, Roy. I love it, John. And, Roy, that's a tremendous idea. And I I don't know what – we've got a lot – every school, and I know we do at Oregon State, tremendous – talented videographer, social media savvy people that could they could run with that and produce a, a beautiful piece. So whether that's in the works or not, uh, I think it's a great idea, Roy, for every school in this kind of the last of the Pac-12 as we've known it. That's a great idea. Yeah, because I think in some corners, you know, they're you know, like I'll tell you, I'll give you, I think the temperature in Salt Lake City for Utah is that. You know, they're. I think they're relieved. They have somewhere to go. You know, they're going to the Big mm-hmm. Twelve. They're not facing you know uncertainty right now. They know where they're going. Um, I think they're lamenting that they played and had great success in the conference. I don't think Utah wanted to leave. I don't think there was any shot they were leaving unless it totally disintegrated, which is what happened. So I think the different fan bases all have different experiences. There's some Oregon fans that are really excited about going to the Big Ten. There's some Oregon fans that are a little heartbroken but also excited. Um, I think it's. It's just interesting to see the different emotions, you know, within within even these the fan bases themselves. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, we're 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 a base right now that certainly has questions, but you know, I, I I believe in in our leadership and the resolution of those things in the days ahead. And I I just know as a program we're in a great place right now, and I think that's going to carry a lot of. I think help dispel maybe some of that confusion and bewilderment that I felt that a lot of us have felt. Yeah. I think the season itself is going to handle a lot of that for us. Let's go to Donnie, who's in Milwaukee. Donnie, you're on with Mike Parker. Hey, John, Mike, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, you know, you know, this is this calls about uh, college football and the reorg and all that. It's just is a point that's been eating at me. You know, I've been listening to it a long time, first time caller, but uh, we keep hearing the narrative from. You know the news and broadcasters about this uh, mix-up or reorg, and it surrounds the conversation of TV executives, money. You know what the schools are getting, why they're leaving, uh, just in and out. That's the topic, right? And right. I'm, I'm asking myself, why aren't uh, you know broadcasters mentioning uh, you know some of the things that really should be mentioned? And that's you know what's what's the benefit to the student? You know, right. I know, I know. We can talk about oh, better facilities and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm speaking about the the real, you know, student athlete. You know, what's it going to be like to Thursday night be thinking about the uh, the flight to Pennsylvania? 
you know, mm-hmm. and how does that impact their schooling, mm-hmm. especially for those that aren't going to go to the pros, right? I mean, is this really a better move for anybody but the TV yeah. stations and uh, the school's, you know, $30, $50 million purse? Yeah. You know, just, I, haven't, I haven't heard a station mention yet, you know, what does it mean yeah. for the kids? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and, and, and I think, too, it's important to note that, like, Football travels differently than some other sports, you know, and sometimes you have a charter. And, and Mike Parker, you're on some of these flights, and you've probably flown both commercially with some teams and via charter with some teams. Give us an idea of what the travel is like for maybe a football program versus maybe a program, you know, if you're traveling with the baseball and they're not going on a charter or softball or something. How different does it feel? A lot different. Charter charter flights do ease <clears throat> some of the travel burden, certainly. But we have played at Penn State. We've played at LSU. <laughs> we played at Ohio State. We played at Michigan. Charter flight or not, those are darn long. <laughs> those are long flights, but they are once a week. I do I do agree with your basic point, John. That football is a different type of thing. You go, you know, in, in a couple of those situations, we did go in two days early as opposed to one. Normally, we would fly on a Friday on a charter for a Saturday game. A couple of those longer East Coast-type trips, we went in, you know, a day and a half or two days earlier just to, to get acclimated. And early in the season with school not being in, you could do that. Basketball and baseball, which I travel, men's basketball and baseball, we are generally speaking flying commercially, and there, you know, there are some challenges inherent in that. Even within, you know, our our well-known Pac-12 conference with the Mountain Schools, Arizona Schools, LA Bay, et cetera, uh, you still, you know, you're waiting a lot in airports. You're changing flights. You have postponed flights. You have canceled flights. Weather issues. All of that. So, it, it is. It's it's hard for my mind to get around. Okay take all of that and you're not going to Tucson or Phoenix or San Francisco or Seattle. You're going into some of these other cities that Donnie was referring to. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a conundrum that it's not going to be easy to deal with. Let's take one more. Pat is in Portland. Pat, uh, we're on here with Mike Parker. Go ahead. Hey Mike, it's the first time I've talked to you since you became a beaver and, uh, <laughs> Um, I do have a question for you. I know you're a, you're a big reader and a big history guy. Mike, do you see any um, similarities between what happened now and what happened in '59 with the big uh, with the big uh, UCLA scandal when they, when they kicked uh, Oregon, Oregon State, and and Washington State out of the pack? Uh, well, I guess with the Pack Eight then. Do you see any anything that's similar in this situation? what happened that time or do you, do you even know much yeah. about that i think it was the pcc I know a little, yeah or, yeah it was the back pcc from, right yeah. yeah go ahead yeah pat good talking to you it, it's been a long time then if we haven't talked for 25 years <laughs> i'm coming up on year 25 with the beads so i miss talking to you pat but it's nice to hear your voice again here yeah yes and no i mean when i was thinking about oregon state's charter charter membership in the conference with Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Oregon State. There's your big four from 1915. But in 1959, you're right, Oregon and Oregon State were relegated to independent status. And, you know, both teams maintained a a pretty, I think, pretty high level. I mean, heck, in 92, in 62, I should say, Harry Baker wins the Heisman. 
and the Beavers go 9-2. and two. And I think the following year, Bob Barry in Oregon went to a bowl game and had a pretty good year in 63, operating as an independent. But the whole landscape, Pat, the reason I it's not really – I mean, yeah, the conference has had teams come and go in that sense. Idaho, Montana, you know, have been members of our league. But the, the major difference is – the world we're in today, and, and I feel like, guys, Pat and John, what I've been saying for years, I know I'm an old-school radio guy and an old-school Rose Bowl guy and an old-school guy, and I feel like the whole impingement of television, money, big money, the ESPNization and Foxization of the world, and even the dialogue that began. John, you remember in the 90s, and Pat, you, I'm sure you do too, to me, the 90s was like a golden era when you had these amazing stories, Wisconsin going in 93 to the Rose Bowl, Oregon in 94, Northwestern in 95, Arizona State almost winning the whole thing going in 96, Washington State for the first time since Babe Hollingberry in 1931 when the Cougs went in 97. UCLA was a player for the national title in 98. Stanford went for the first time since 71 when they went to the Rose Bowl in 99. I felt like college football was as healthy in those kinds of games and regional rivalries. I can see the images of Wisconsin fans shut out, couldn't get into the granddaddy, the destination bowl. Life was good. I felt like those were the best college football stories that I've really, in a sense, been around up through 99, and the Beavers had their own taste in 2000 trying to chase down the Rose Bowl and ended up going to the Fiesta Bowl. But I remember at that same time, well, thinking college football is the greatest thing in the world, and I still do, but the dialogue on the national level was we got to get a playoff. we got to get a bowl alliance. We've got to settle this thing on the field. We've got we got to settle it on the field. We can't have dual champions. We can't have a, a mythical champion. We've got to settle it on the field, settle it on the field. Every national talk show host that I heard on the national level began to ring that bell and pound that message constantly. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with what we've got? College football is a phenomenon. Keith Jackson, bless his heart, rest his soul. It's our weekly festival around the country in communities of different sizes where people get together and their community and their team means all. I feel like we forfeited so much of that by where we are now. I don't know how it was in 59 through 63, per se, in those independent years, Pat, but I feel like college football itself has been, while we build the thing up to these monolithic proportions and these major money contracts and all of that, we've lost something about what was once really grand about celebrating our regional rivalries in the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. There was nothing wrong with that. I thought college football was healthy and vibrant and alive in those years, and I feel like we've been pushed by the powers that be into sort of an NFL expand playoff model, and I miss the good old days. Mike Parker, well put. I'll see you in the press box, my friend. Okay, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good talking to you, Pat. Thank you. There you go. Mike Parker. Wow. Next, where we go next? Spanning the globe. We'll go to the Bay Area. Why? Because Stanford and Cal hold some keys here. If you're an Oregon State fan, Washington State fan, or a curious onlooker, Where are the Cardinal and the Bears going to end up? Will they be an independent, the ACC, the Big Ten, or will they join forces with Oregon State and Washington State? Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle is next. 
I'm working real hard on this radio show to try to make it a place that can help lead the discussion. All the thought that is out there, this isn't, um, you know, we don't want to be a place where we just, well, let's take some calls and have people react to it. No, we're, we're trying to find out what's going on, what happened, what's going to happen next. We had Pat Chun, the Washington State AD, on. He was fantastic talking about the failure of leadership inside the Pac-12 conference, the failure of leadership on the national level with college football ripping leaders nationally saying the absence of leadership in college football and the uh, the pressure and the influence of television pushing everybody into a position where you have uh, seen a power five conference disintegrate uh also then we pivot to mike parker voice of oregon state very different uh very different conversation about the loss of tradition what was wrong with what we had, Mike Parker said. Here's Pat Chun, before I bring on our next guest, talking about the failure of leadership on numerous levels. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, you have a, 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 a over a century of a conference. It's how it's impacted student-athletes, sports, culture, and the West Coast, uh, how it's unified people. And, um, you know, I just met with some of our media here, and, you know, ever you know, this is really a failure of leadership on many levels, uh, not just on one person's shoulders, but many many people's shoulders. Um, and it's it's um, it's it's just it's where where we're at today is you know is you know what you know you probably would have thought this was uh, unfathomable years ago, but it's a reality in this environment of college athletics. And um, now Washington State and some other schools that remain in the Pac-12 have to you know, work to figure out what next steps look like. Next steps for Oregon State and Washington State include figuring out what Stanford and Cal do. Here to talk about it, Connor Letourneau. He is a senior writer, an investigative reporter, enterprise writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, friend of this show, former colleague of mine. And, uh, man, what do you uh, what have you been working on, Stanford and Cal stuff? Yeah, you know, we don't have a fully dedicated college sports writer down here so when all this uh was going down my bosses kind of tapped me and were like hey we need you focused in on on this completely so that's what been my my main focus this week and it's just it's a lot to wrap your head around it's a lot to dig into there's so many different ramifications for this um obviously since i'm in the bay area i've been focusing on cal and stanford but you know i i'm well aware of applied of Washington State and Oregon State as well. I, I covered Oregon State as my first beat out of college at the Oregonian. So, you know, you can't help but feel for these schools. Connor, you, you had a chance to talk with officials at Cal and also Stanford coach Troy Taylor. You know, you come away from those conversations. What's the, What's been the reaction in their world? I mean, a lot of sadness, but right now you kind of kind of put kind of have to put that sadness to the side a little bit and just be in survival mode. I mean, you just need to to get to the next day right now. Um, the stakes are super high, um, especially for schools like Cal and Stanford. I mean, if they have to settle for a Mountain West-level conference, it would be absolutely disastrous. You know, they right now, you know, you're looking at, if you're able to land in the ACC, you're looking at around, you know, unless you have to take a reduced share, 
around $30 million a year in TV uh, revenue. Um, if you ended up having to settle for the Mountain West, you're looking at $4 million. Now, that, that $26 million is seismic, and um, you would have to – you would have potentially have to lay a bunch of staffers off. You would have to cut sports. You would have to rethink everything. Um, and they don't want that to happen. So they're thinking power five or bust. If we can get into the big 10, great ACC fine, but just anything power five. Do you get the sense they're trying to use the ACC to, to get the big 10 to make a move? Hey, you know, if you don't, we're going to end up somewhere else. Or do you think they are, seriously interested in in maybe going to the ACC if that's the option. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that speculation that they're kind of trying to use the ACC as, as leverage. But I'm, right now, it's kind of a race against the clock. Like, I'm not sure the Pac-12 can really, or sorry, Cal and Stanford can really afford to wait for the Big Ten uh, for weeks or months. Now, they need to figure this thing out sooner rather than later. And if the ACC comes to them in the next day or two and says, hey, here's the invite, I expect Talon Stanford to take it. They just they can't risk the, you know, being left out in the cold. They can't risk having to go group of five or ponder independent status. A lot of people have talked about them going independent. I, I just really don't think that's realistic, even for Stanford, which has a pretty big brand. Um, there's a reason why Notre Dame is the only one to really do it successfully and Notre Dame has $20 million a year coming from NBC. So Stanford wouldn't have that. No no other school would have that. Um, their options are limited right now. Connor, is there a chance that if the ACC is not there, if the Big Ten's not there, that Stanford and Cal would look over at Oregon State and Washington State and go, look, let's form something new, a Power Five conference that can be born of the ashes, or does that feel like an insurmountable lift at this point? I think that they would prefer that over going to the Mountain West. I, I mean, they would prefer anything over going to the Mountain West, but that seems like such a big lift. I mean, there's so many different hoops you need to, to hop through to make that happen. And you basically, I mean, I don't really think that those members in themselves are qualified to do something like that. I mean, in terms of going and finally securing a TV deal, which is something that's been a huge source of consternation for years now. And to do that for, you know, a, a shadow of itself of the conference would be even harder. Um, I, I just don't know how realistic that is, honestly. All right. So let me ask you this. If you're being a friend to Oregon State and Washington State, we've all been with friends where we go, hey, man, this we can see it clearer than you because you're too close to it or it's too emotional to you or you're not seeing the landscape from 20,000 feet. If you're talking to Washington State and Oregon State, is it worth them sticking around to see what Stanford and Cal do or should they be running for the hills themselves, doing what's best for themselves and not even thinking about Stanford and Cal? The latter, because I that's basically what Cal and Stanford are doing. And, um, you know, Cal and Stanford, I really highly doubt that any serious part of their thought process is what's going on with Oregon State and Washington State. Unfortunately, I think that Oregon State and Washington State are the bigger, biggest victims in all this. I think they have almost no options. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine a reality where they end up anywhere other than the Mountain West. Um, 
just because for reasons outside of their own control, they don't bring a lot monetarily to the table. Their brand just isn't big enough and they're not in big enough markets. I mean, and I, I really feel for a school like Oregon State because they're doing all the right things. You know, they're, they, they made the right football hire. They're rebuilding that program. They're doing a great job. And then, but it doesn't change their fate. And the weird thing about Cal and Stanford is I actually think that, you know, if they had been playing better football in recent years, they'd be in a much better situation. Mm. They have a lot more going for them. They're in, the nation, yep. they're in the nation's sixth biggest media market. They're two of the most academically prestigious universities in the country. The fact that they're even in this situation where they're scrambling to find a conference is, is absurd when you think about everything they have going for them and speaks to how much they've mismanaged things and speaks to how bad things have gotten with their football programs. Is it, is there is there a common denominator on that? Because I've I've thought about that, you know, with Cal basketball. They, you know, they were. I think the athletic department was mismanaged, and and you know they were uh, you know, not doing some things that their peers were doing to stay competitive. And do you see parallels with Stanford and and Cal when it comes to explaining why the football had the downturn when it did? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that Cal hasn't been great in football. In a long time. I mean, they had that little run under Jeff Tedford, but outside of that, they've been very mediocre for a long time. They haven't made a Rose Bowl since 1959. And so, yeah, they've been a little worse the past couple of years, but not drastically. Where you really see the drop off is with Stanford football. I mean, they went from being, you know, a near annual contender for the Rose Bowl to a complete laughing stock. And there's a direct cause and effect there with the rise of the transfer portal, early enrollees, and NIL. Um, Stanford just didn't adapt. They very stubborn, stubbornly were, were, were like, we're Stanford. We're not going to play that game. And, you know, it backfired. Um, and David Shaw was completely resistant to any sort of change. He refused to fire any of his assistants when they were struggling refused to make any changes at all their offense and defense were effectively the exact same as they were in the 2010s even as everyone was evolving around them and that's why they're in the situation they're in right now and the interesting thing is that even today they refuse to change you know i did a big piece a few months ago about how they're the only power five school in the country that won't even acknowledge a an nil collective like they, they're not playing that game, and they're never going to play that game. And it's hard to imagine a world where they return to relevance without playing that game. Connor Letourneau, San Francisco Chronicle kid who grew up in the Portland metropolitan area, is our guest. Uh, Connor, Stanford's got all of these Olympic athletes. They probably produce more Olympians than any university in America. More gold medals, more Olympic medals, more success on the national stage. Where do the Olympic sports fit into the conversation, short-term, long-term? Does the ACC work for those sports or the Big Ten? Or is this a two-year decision, get your feet underneath you, then figure out what happens with football? Yeah, that's one of the really sad things about this is that every sport other than football, like not, not even just the Olympic sports, but even like men's basketball, they're all just such an afterthought in all this. Um and, you know, I was at Stanford last night 
for Troy Taylor's availability, and he was talking about the travel in ATC, and he was like, oh, no big deal. You know, five-hour flight? Like, yeah, no big deal. And I'm thinking, yeah, no big deal for you because you, you would fly six times a year. And, you know, yeah, I mean, doing a five- to six-hour flight to the East Coast six times a year is not a huge deal. But when you're talking about the women's lacrosse team that has to travel to Syracuse for an in-conference game uh, on commercial flights, because those teams don't fly charter, that's, that's the real drawback and downside of any sort of move to the ACC or a conference like that. It's like the, the toll it's going to take on the non-revenue sport. And like you said, Stanford actually has the best athletic department in the country. They, have the, they win awards every year for that. They, they dominate the Olympic sports. But still, they're not a hot commodity in realignment because realignment is all about football, and their football program is struggling. And it's literally that simple. Connor, uh, time frame for Stanford and Cal to make a decision. Is this something that needs to be done 24, 48, 72 hours? Do they have several weeks? Do they have days? Do they have months? In your mind, a time frame. They want to they want to know where they're going by the start of the football season. Um, so you're looking at the next few weeks. You know, season openers are September 1st, September 2nd. So if they don't if they go into the football season not knowing where they're going to be in 2024, they're going to feel really uncomfortable. Um, and so they really want something figured out by then, which is why I feel like it's looking more and more likely that they'll go to the ACC because I just think that's the only power five option they could realistically have in that time frame. Fascinating. Connor Letourneau, thank you. Read him at the San Francisco Chronicle. Follow him on Twitter. Thanks, Connor. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great stuff there. I want your reaction to all that you've heard today. And I, I even want to hear from Duck fans who may feel like, hey, you've been vilified. You've been singled out. I think what's become evident in the last uh, at least 48 to 72 hours is that Oregon's in this decision on Friday, Board of Trustees, Board of Regents, whatever you want to call it, having to make this decision that ultimately ends up in the splintering of the conference. It's very easy to point a finger at Oregon. Uh, I think, you know, we've stated this on this show numerous times from the beginning. I actually think it would have been irresponsible financially. There was a fiduciary duty for the trustees, for the people at Oregon, to do what was best for Oregon. You know, they, they, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first kind of mentality. The failures of leadership, the fact that you have no leadership on the college landscape that could have said, hey, pump the brakes on this. We're not going to allow widespread expansion. It's not in the bylaws of the college football coalition, if it existed. The ultimate commissioner of college football, Greg Sankey. Oh, no, he's not. He's the commissioner of the SEC. See, there's no commissioner. There's no organizing body. There was nobody to push back when TV said, hey, we're going to expand, expand, expand. Let's not point the finger only at Oregon here or unjustly at Oregon because the Ducks are playing the game, right? They're playing the game like everybody else is playing the game. There are forces at work, I was told early on, that want it all. It was Fox. They wanted it all. Your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Phone lines open. Great show today. I want some phone calls on it. I want to know what you're thinking about all this, what you're feeling. Is Oregon getting a bad rap in this conversation? I want to hear from some Duck fans as well as Beavers fans, as well as casual observers. 
Is Oregon getting unfairly criticized for doing what was best for Oregon? Would Oregon State have done the same thing had they been in the position? 503-417-7575 is a number. Mark's in Portland. Mark, lead us off. Hey, well, yeah, I first of all, uh, listening to, you know, everybody talking about what great tradition we had. College football has, the power brokers have controlled it, you know, ever since 1998 when they took the Rose Bowl away. They took Oregon out of the, the you know, the in 2001 in the Rose Bowl they should have played in. Um, so they, they've been controlling things. 2004, Auburn. How do you tell Auburn uh, from a postseason perspective that they don't deserve to, to control their own destiny. So we've had problems in college football for a long time. Oregon, um, just the mere fact that the Pac-12 was dependent on whatever Oregon did tells you how weak of a link was connecting the Pac-12. It started with USC, John, at Colorado, and none of those you, – you guys act like all of those guys would have stayed if Oregon stayed. It was like sitting at a poker table and trusting everybody. I mean, that's how I feel right now in college football. So Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, they were liable to jump at any time. And Oregon, I think, saw a little bit of that. And, you know, what? how everybody feels about it is irrelevant because it's already happened. And when, when they talk about the postseason and Oregon making a mistake, we've had four teams in the playoffs for the last nine years. The Pac-12 has made it three times. The Big Ten is going to get three to four teams in that 12-team playoff every single year. So um, if Oregon is a solid, good football team, they have Oregon, USC, Washington, um, and UCLA. One of those teams, I would argue, has like a 60%, 70% chance of making the playoffs every year. They didn't have that chance in the Pac-12. Well, they didn't they have did. it with a four-team playoff for sure. But I, but I also think it increased the available bids for the others under the 12-team playoff when they effectively killed the Pac-12 conference. They removed two teams from the playoff equation, and they went, all right, that's two more bids that are out there for everybody else. Uh, want more phone calls. Uh, let's go to John in Lake Oswego. Go ahead, John, quickly. Uh, hello, John. Hey, listen, I've been following this uh, for quite a while, and there's a point that you've been making that I would really, really appreciate that you really jump into uh, over time in depth, uh, and that is the role of Fox Sports in behind the scenes in all of this. Uh, an expose similar to what you did with Larry Scott and his performance is something that I would slurp up with relish. All right, I'll uh, dive into it a little bit in the next segment with more phone calls as well. Yes, Fox has blood on its hands. Fox did some things behind the scenes that mm, they were dealing dirty, in my mind. 503-417-7575, phone calls ahead. This hour of radio is going to be juicy. Going to be juicy. There's some momentum out there with Stanford and Cal and the ACC being reported by some national media members, including Pat Forty, friend of the show. He is reporting that uh, there is some increased momentum with Stanford and Cal to the ACC. Still unsure if they can get the 75% vote from the ACC presidents. But I'm also hearing from sources in the Mountain West Conference now, tell you something you don't know here that there's a little bit of apprehension uh, suddenly on the Oregon State front. Bear with me. 
I'm going to tell you why Mountain West Conference presidents are going, should we take Oregon State? Because it's been a foregone conclusion. I think the commissioner of the Mountain West would love to get Washington State and Oregon State in her conference. She's a former Pac-12 deputy commissioner. They add some brand. They come with the Pac-12 pedigree. They'd be really good in football, I think, in the first couple years at least, in the Mountain West Conference. Could rattle around the playoff a little bit. Might be a threat to beat somebody in the playoff. But there's a little bit of pushback. I'm told from within the Mountain West Conference, from some of the presidents whose teams normally compete at the top of the standings. Keep in mind, you add Washington State and Oregon State to the meteorites deal in the Mountain West Conference, how much value does that really add? I'm going to have to reach out to my TV executive friends, Bob Thompson, former Fox president among them, and ask him, how much value does Oregon State, Washington State, add to the existing Mountain West Conference deal? Let's quantify it. Because... That group of five has one, one playoff berth, probably automatic. Anything beyond that is good luck. One playoff berth. If you're in the Mountain West, let's say you're Boise State, let's say you're San Diego State, let's say uh, Fresno State, you're used to competing at the top of the Mountain West Conference, being in that conference championship game, are you okay adding Oregon State knowing that Oregon State might just give your media deal a little boost because of the TV market not being great. But also, they're going to beat your brain in, and you're not getting to the playoff for the next three or four years. It's an interesting dilemma. The best thing that Oregon State has going for it is the football program right now and the success and the momentum in the stadium. The thing that could be a little scary for the Mountain West is the football program and the momentum in that stadium. Um, also, you have lurking in the background the AAC, Mike Oresco, who is the commissioner of the AAC. I've written about him a couple times at johnconzano.com. If you read me there, you know who Oresco is. You know his story. He was formerly the commissioner of the Big East Conference. It imploded on his watch. He knows what George Kuyavkov is going through. He picked himself up, got his feet underneath him, and he has created the American Athletic Conference. And the American Athletic Conference can best be described as a way station. A truck stop, so to speak, for programs that are trying to find their way to a Power Five. SMU's part of the American Athletic Conference. So were others who are now in the Big 12. Oresco is all too happy to see his programs use him as a stepping stone, because what does he do? He negotiates buyout. He negotiates UConn. He negotiates uh, TCU, Louisville. He negotiates uh, SMU if you want him. And he turns those into uh, windfalls for his conference members. He's at peace with being a stepping stone. Is Oregon State better off in that AAC, or are they better off in the Mountain West? Discuss. And will the Mountain West be okay losing to Oregon State to the AAC, or will Gloria Navarez, the commissioner of the Mountain West Conference, step up and go, we can't let that happen. We can't let a team in the western part of the United States pick another mid-major conference because why? It says we're not the best. Yet some of her presidents, I'm told, are pumping the brakes a little bit on Oregon State, going, do we really want to compete against that? Given that, you know, they're just going to add a little bit of value to the media rights deal. Uh, going to be interesting to see that unfold. I want phone calls. We'll do the five at five momentarily. Let's jump to the phone lines and take a couple calls. Pete's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. What's up, Pete? 
Duck fan, sad to see the Pac-12 go. Um, I do have a question for you. I did see a report today that there was a framework talked about on Wednesday of last week, and then what was actually presented on Mm -hmm. Friday was different, and both Oregon and Washington said, you can't do this. And uh, it had to do with no linear TV when there was at least rumor of a linear TV partner for the Apple part of it. Um, I don't know if that's enough to throw me over the edge. I don't know that I'd want to have the Pac-12 fold on on that kind of thing. But it's not a it's not a good faith thing when you say, here's the framework. Let's sign on Friday. And then you wake up Friday morning and he says, well, that's not exactly what I meant. Yeah, no, they are. There's a little bit of confusion there. I appreciate the call, Pete, because I think probably some others are in that position. They expected the Pac-12 presidents, chancellors expected to see two different deals. They expected to see one that was heavy Apple subscription based year. There was some risk in years one and two. They were presented that deal on Tuesday, and they got that deal. They were told, "Hey, there's a second deal that could have a linear presence." And they, I think the conference was being ambitious, trying to get that done. The second deal never really materialized in a way that set it apart from the first deal. But that all happened earlier in the week. And keep in mind, Oregon and Washington on Thursday night were telling other conference members that they were likely in. So the 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 CEO group basically ratified the deal, the first deal with Apple, and expected on Friday to come into the 7 a.m. meeting and everybody would formalize it. And I think... There's a little bit of, you know, I think Washington is where you got this. Anna Marie Kasse, who's the president of Washington, came out and said, hey, you know, the 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 second deal wasn't what I expected it to be. And the first deal, the best part about it was, hey, we could get out of it in two years. And, you know, if you have other options, if you have guaranteed money in the Big Ten Conference, if you had $30 million, $35 million a year in distributions guaranteed, and you're going to have the power of the Fox Linear Network, that's tough to beat with Apple and, hey, sell some subscriptions. So I get that part of it. I think Oregon and Washington still have to do what's best for themselves. I don't know if it's really a what pushes you over the edge conversation because I just think most of the members in the conference would have gone into that Friday morning meeting ready to sign the Apple deal only because they didn't have a better offer. None, you know, Arizona, Arizona State, they were looking at $31.7 million and they were going, hey, $25 million, but we could get it to $30 million if we sell a bunch of subscriptions. They were ready to do it. They weren't joining the Big Ten, though. They're going to the Big 12. And I think ultimately in the next round of realignment, what we're going to see is the Big 12 under fire. You're going to see further consolidation. It's going to be the SEC against the Big Ten. That's all that's going to be left in the end as we watch it. It's all that's going to be left. Let's go to Sean, who's in. Sandy, Sean, what's on your mind? Hey, John, I've just been kind of soaking in and kind of, analyzing what's been going on the last few days. And the biggest thing I'm going to take away from this is how much we're going to miss the Civil War. You know, anybody that's lived here for a long time know that's our biggest game of the year. Arguably bigger than the Super Bowl in the state of Oregon. When you go to all the pubs, all the watering holes, Civil War is it, baby. I mean, we like the Super Bowl. That's a big deal. But the biggest game of the year here in the state is the Civil War, and that's going to the wayside. You know, and I think when this all started, you know, people talk about where it started. Well, it started when A&M went to SEC. You know, and I got friends that live down in, and family live in Texas. I've lived down there for a couple months at a time. My brother went to UT. So I know the story of Bevo. So that was heartbreaking. 
when A&M went over there. So it's good to see Texas going over there. At least they get their rivalry back. And this this has been big time. Yeah. Yeah. You like rivalries. You like tradition. You like, you know, not being told to kick off a game at 730. Television has trampled so much of what was important to college football. Dave in Vancouver. Then we go to the 5 at 5. Dave, what's up, man? Hey, so I'm not a Beaver fan. I live in Washington. You know, I'm a Coug, Huskies. But here's a – actually, it's a realistic dream, but it it probably will not happen for the Beavs. All right. Let's say they go 11-1 and next year. They win the Pac-12 and they beat USC in the championship. And then they go to the playoff and win the whole damn thing. All right. Next year – they change their helmet, change their logo on the helmet, and it's a beaver flipping you off. I would love it. There you go. Well, I don't think it would happen, but you would love it, and uh, parents everywhere would be horrified. Um, let's, Stephen, let's do the five at five. The five at five. The number one story from Steven does not involve a middle finger, but it is. That one did give me a little bit. The middle finger logo. That <laughs> I, one had, go- I was with him, and then it went off the rails. That one got me to laugh a little bit. But you, uh, number one, you just touched on this a little bit. Still uh, unknown exactly what's happening, but there are multiple sources, including Pat Forty, who are saying there is quote-unquote momentum toward adding Cal and Stanford to the ACC, but it is unclear as of now whether the 75% vote threshold could be reached. Now, Forty says if the presidents don't think they have the numbers, they likely won't take a formal vote. But, John, it does seem as if the ACC is certainly interested in adding Stanford and Cal at this moment, although lots of things could happen between now and whenever that vote happens. Really interesting to see this play out. Cal and Stanford feel like they're just desperately trying to find a home, trying to and, and look, I, I know Oregon State and Washington State are sitting around going, hey, we, we're going to wait and see what happens with Stanford and Cal. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Don't let the Mountain West Conference start thinking about, hey, we might never beat these guys in football or it might be a, a big lift. Like, Don't give them too much to think about. At some point, you got to put your own oxygen mask on. And so I think Oregon State's got like, you know, a week, 10 days. Got to make a decision here. It's they time should, to get busy living. They should learn living. from George Klyovkov and not wait too long. Be proactive. Be pro proactive, not reactive. Put your o- oxygen mask on before you help others. Number two is Stephen Season. Number two. All right. So Pat Chun, he joined you earlier in the show. If you missed that interview, you want to catch that on the podcast forum. Washington State Athletic Director. He has some great things to say about what went down on Thursday and Friday when Oregon and Washington left. Chun essentially said that Oregon and Washington leaving the conference essentially ended the Pac-12. You know, whatever happened between that Thursday evening and Friday morning, you know, transformed college athletics and let's go football as we know, or let's go sports as we know it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, 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 uh, I, I guess I've never dove, dove into who, who was the first mover, but ultimately both those schools electing to leave was essentially the end of the Pac-12. It just seemed like that Thursday night, Friday morning, there was still that chance that the Pac-12 could survive, John. I I would love to know what exactly went down. Hopefully at some point we'll get a documentary, a 30 for 30, you know, last dance type thing, as uh, Roy said for this season. But hopefully figure out what exactly happened on that Thursday night, Friday morning to really convince Oregon and Washington to say, you know what, we're we're going against the Pac-12. 
It's just sad to think that happened all overnight, and then you hear the Board of Regents meeting you played earlier. Just it rubs me the wrong way how the how the Pac-12 conference ended and how it's going to be changed going forward. All right, look, I I was asked to come on the Dan Patrick Show on that Thursday morning. All right, Dan Patrick's producers reached out to me. Uh, I made an appearance at eight thirty in the morning. Had about a 10-minute talk with Patrick. Before I went on that call, I called around the Pac-12 conference. I talked to five different people who were in the Pac-12 CEO group. I took the temperature. I didn't want to go on Dan Patrick's show and just, like, spitball what I thought might happen. I actually went on his show, and I talked to him about Oregon being the decision-maker. I talked to him about the ball being in Oregon's hands, that it is a very much a pivotal decision. We talked about everything that went wrong the linear TV deal, the George Klyovkov fiasco, letting losing UCLA and USC. It's funny because I went back and I listened to that appearance I made on Patrick's show, and I was like, how much of what I said held up? And I, I, I feel pretty good about what I said on the show because it all came true. It was Oregon's decision. The ball was in their court. And as I talked to Oregon officials throughout that Thursday, the picture that I got painted was that there was some risk in the Apple deal, that um, Oregon wanted to make sure that the conference, that if they stayed in the Pac-12 conference, there was going to be a Pac-12 conference two, three, four years from now. There was some concern about the Apple deal, the uncertainty in it. But I felt like Oregon was very much leaning towards signing a grant of rights with the Pac-12 conference as Thursday happened. We talked on Thursday night show. I said, hey, if there's no news out of the Arizona Board of Regents meeting, if you don't hear Arizona, Arizona State are gone on Thursday night, it's a good thing for the survival of the Pac-12. I felt that way Thursday night. I checked back in with people Thursday night who said, this is trending in the Pac-12's direction. All of the national reports on Friday morning were about it trending the Pac-12's way. The thing that tipped Oregon was Oregon went back to the Big Ten and said, hey, we will join you, but we want to be a full member. We don't want a partial share when the deal is renegotiated because the original offer from the Big Ten was 50% share. That's it. And when we renegotiate, you're also at a 50% share. Oregon wanted a full share. And in, in, in retrospect, I think if the Big Ten had not been willing to give them a full share in year seven of their membership in the Big Ten, I think Oregon and Washington would have said, hey, I think we can do this deal and probably get a better deal if we wait. Let's just sign on with Apple. Let's bet on ourselves. And in 10 minutes before that Board of Regents meeting, or excuse me, the CEO group meeting where Oregon and Washington would have signed. They informed the Pac-12, hey, we got a deal with the Big Ten. I think that is what happened. I think that's the story. Oh, so crazy, man. Just a craziness of stories. But could have been. I felt, I, and look, I, there's part of me that's like nostalgic and whatever. You know, but if the Pac-12 wasn't really willing to get a good deal in front of Oregon that made it a no-brainer, it has itself to blame. For the fact that Oregon and Washington were sitting there on Friday morning going, eh, maybe it, we should listen to the Big Ten. It really seemed like all the stars aligned for the Big Ten, and then they took advantage of it, right? Like, they jumped on the opportunity. So it's it's another yeah. one of those things where it's just sad that, you know, Oregon and Washington, basically Oregon was the whole fate of the Pac-12, the whole conference. It was. And it it was. was. But let's unpack it further. Is it the Big Ten or is it Fox? I mean, because yeah. the Big Ten presidents had said, we don't want to expand. We have no appetite for it. I'm telling you, I covered that conference. No way in hell Indiana and Purdue and Iowa and Minnesota and Northwestern, they don't want more company. They're not excited they, to fly out to Eugene. No. They're, not going, they're, they're closer to London than they are Eugene, Oregon. I did see a tweet that said Oregon, when they play Hawaii, uh, in Hawaii it's going to be a shorter flight than when they travel to play Rutgers. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, ridi- it, and it's driven by Fox. 
Fox tried to get the Pac-12 to break up by going after the Arizona schools, by getting Colorado through the Big 12, by trying to get Utah. They tried and tried, and on Thursday night, they were unsuccessful doing that. And so what did Fox do? They went, hey, we got another weapon here. Let's use the Big 10 to get what we want. They drove the Pac-12 conference to the point where Oregon and Washington left, and then what happened? It got the Arizona schools as well. It got Utah. Fox got everything it wanted. Fox was the big winner. And if somebody, some attorney general somewhere wants to look at the collusion, wants to look at the fact that Fox had control of the Pac-12's early bidding, they had the early negotiating window, they had exclusivity because they were the, the, the contract holder now on the current deal, if someone wants to look at that, Fox ultimately benefited from Fox disrupting the Pac-12's negotiation. It's just TV, 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 the influence of TV, the money of TV, the greed of TV. I really don't think the Big Ten had that big of an appetite to do this. Now we're watching the ACC compromise its own values and throw student-athletes into the wind trying to get Stanford and Cal. Because why? Because ESPN's probably afraid to lose the ACC members who are restless. So, you know, they're looking to sprinkle some money on them. Hey, we'll use the, we'll use the Bay Area to do that. It makes no sense. This thing's lost its mind. Number three story as Steven sees it. Yeah, some more college football news, but this time actually on the field. Northwestern, they've had a rough ride this offseason, but their coaches were seen on the field wearing T-shirts that said Cats Against the World, followed by a number 51, which represents the number Pat Fitzgerald wore as a two-time National Defensive oh Player of the Year while he played at Northwestern. Now, it's not just the coaches that were wearing these shirts. Uh, these shirts were made shortly after Fitzgerald firing, of course, of the hazing incidents that have happened at Northwestern on July 10th. Uh, they had been warned by at other team activities, and a current Northwestern player was seen wearing the T-shirt in a photo shared on social media back in July uh, by wide receivers coach Armand Bins. Now, there's still a Pat Fitzgerald tied to Northwestern as his oldest son, Jack, is a freshman tight end on the team and wide receiver Bryce Kurtz. He said the T-shirts are a symbol of team unity amid a challenging time for the team, and current players and coaches have still remained in contact with Pat Fitzgerald, even though he's been fired from Northwestern. This is uh, going to be an ugly story, and in the center of it, not just Pat Fitzgerald, but how about Michael Schild, the president at Northwestern, formerly president at the University of Oregon, frequent guest on this show. He's in the middle of that mess. He, uh, you know, He fires the coach. He first reprimanded, and then... Now he's got a real mess on his hands with leadership and uncertainty. And, man, a lot of big time, big statement on leadership going around nationally as we look at all this stuff. Uh, Number four story, as you see it. Yeah, number four, Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He has now finally been fined $50,000 by the NBA after he swung a chair into the crowd and struck two bystanders at the conclusion of the Minnesota Timberwolves Playoff loss to the Nuggets back on April 25th. He's now finally getting fined for that. Uh, Edwards, he missed the game-tying three-pointer in Game 5 against Denver. That shot ultimately eliminated the Timberwolves from the playoffs. Denver, of course, went on to win the NBA championship. Just seems like a uh, weird timing, you know, months later. We're now in August, back from uh, April 25th to be fined. Now, it also says the ruling, though, came today because there was a criminal investigation for Edwards' conduct, but that was dismissed last month. But... Anthony Edwards fined $50,000 for swinging a chair and hitting two bystanders. Doesn't seem like much of a punishment there, John. And by the way, also a headline, the Team USA basketball roster has been unveiled, and Anthony Edwards is on the roster. One of the star players. He will uh, be a joy to watch as he swings chairs across Paris during the Olympics. 
Number five story. All right, well, let's end it on a happy one then. How about that, John? Uh, Wes Wilson, he is a rookie for the Philadelphia Phillies tonight. He's a 28-year-old rookie, first at bat in the major leagues, and this happens. Hold on. And a high fly ball to deep left field. How about this story? A solo home run, and it was a monumental one for his first major league hit. Wes Wilson just picked up right where he left off in the minor leagues. The 28-year-olds. He has just lifted his family high in the air. That smile will be plastered on his face. Look at the look at his father. I gotta tell you, it that's emotional. That's chilling, man. That is emotional. The family and the father, especially seen just bawling in the crowd, just a fun moment. He's almost 29 years old, just made it to the major leagues, John. I just, I love these type of things. And as a father, when I see adult dads crying over these things, man, it, it gets me. It just pulls at my heartstrings so much. So congratulations to Wes Wilson there. 706 games in the minor leagues, including the last three seasons in AAA in the International League. Not a big home run hitter. He hit 25 this last season, or excuse me, this season he was at 25 in the minors. But prior to this season, he had 11, 16, 14, 8. Uh, he's got a uh, surge of power in the last year. Uh, 260 uh, career hitter in the minor leagues, but really good story. Love to see that. Uh, hope he hits. Uh, hope he gets some more ABs as well. But. He's made it to the bigs, and he's got himself a home run. I just love those. That's why I love the end of baseball season. You get these stories of these guys coming up. And, I mean, the Phillies are still in the playoff race, but, I mean, what's going through your mind at that point, especially as a dad, like watching your son out there struggle for so many years, finally making them just hit a home run for his first hit, man. I just I can't imagine that. Awesome to see that. Leave it here. You got the BFT. We got Punch It Audio still ahead. We have a lot of fun on this show. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as – I enjoy doing the show. I, I still don't know. Did somebody hit the uh, Mega Millions? Did someone win it? I've been so busy, I haven't checked my tickets. Maybe All I'll I know be- is I didn't win, John. That's why I'm here. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I'm the winner. We just don't even know about it. And we don't know. And I'll, you know, Like I said, I'm not going to say anything if I, even if I did win. So I may have won, and you wouldn't really know. <laughs> See? See yeah. how that works? So maybe you have checked. Maybe I have checked. You're right. Uh, you guys see what's going on in Maui? Are you watching any of this stuff? I have, yeah. Man, sad situation over there. Big fire in uh, Lahaina and uh, a lot of people's uh, businesses, homes in jeopardy. Looks like the the whole segment of the island there is just smoke and fire and flames. I hope everybody's okay. People had to jump into the ocean to escape it and uh, you know rescue and emergency rescue personnel going into the ocean, the Coast Guard and... Um, really sad stuff. Really, you know, and I see a lot of people on social media who are saying, "Well, that's my slice of heaven, and it's on fire." And I'm, and I'm like, it doesn't matter if that's your slice of heaven. That's like a horrible thing that's happening. Like if that was happening in, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, it would be horrible, you know. But I guess it's the it's the idea of seeing something that always looks like blue skies and palm trees and paradise suddenly looking like it's in real trouble. Really, uh, really difficult stuff. Uh, all right, we got a. Uh, We've got, I hope everybody's okay there, and if you have family there, I hope that they are safe as well, and it'll be interesting to follow that story as it, unfi- as it unfolds. But uh, we got some punch and audio, we got some great sound to talk about, and uh, we're going to rip through it here. If you're just waking up from a coma, we've got you covered. <laughs> 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Mike Parker, longtime voice of Oregon State Athletics. He is uh, talking about the upcoming season. Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. Will there be more pressure on them because this is the last Pac-12 season as we know it? Punch it. I do think this this college football season is unique, and in the history of our conference, it's absolutely unique. But I don't think they are going to put more pressure upon themselves that we have to do this for the Beavers. We have to do this in the last hurrah of the conference any more than they they would have already put in terms of their own expectations for the year. So, yeah, I do think they're playing, if you view it as, you know, the last hurrah for the league, are they playing for something more? Maybe, but I don't think this group and these young men in this time are going to feel that maybe in the way we've been around this our whole lives do. You know, it feels that way to us. I think for these young men watching them at work, working on their craft today, they're just getting ready to go out and play every Saturday and have a big year. And I think they're excited about what they can do, but I don't think they're going to put any more pressure about what they must do. Mike Parker talking in depth about, you know, obviously – what is a big season for Oregon State? Will it be bigger than at Oregon State than in some other places? Well, John, uh, did you catch yeah. when Mike Parker was talking about DJ and how good he looked yeah. and how he's slinging the, it? That, the ball that caught came my, out of his hands nicely. That caught my ears. That got my brain working a little bit. Like, okay, you know, I think you know we've talked about this. If DJ is average, I mean, this Oregon State team could be, I mean, legitimate Pac-12 titles contenders. He just, he just needs to not. I mean, I hate saying it this way because such a defeatist or negative way to say it but he just like chance nolan threw five picks against usc and they lost by three points don't do that gold branson couldn't complete a pass at washington they lost by a score yeah don't do yeah don't do those things and oregon state's gonna be fine and i also think he gives oregon state an element on the offensive side that jack coletto offered in the short yardage game because dj uingalele is a load to tackle He's going to be physical at the point of attack. Um, I think it's it's going to be really fun to see how they utilize him. And then think about it this way. As a, as a fallback plan, you have a starter who went 7-1 and one last year in Ben Goldbertson. Uh, not bad. And then, oh, by the way, you got a four-star freshman, Aiden Childs, who isn't even 18 years old, who everybody's talking about. Meanwhile, at Oregon, Bo Nix talking about the chemistry. He likes the chemistry in Eugene. Punch. From a, a team perspective, I like where we're at. Um, you know, a lot of the times in this day and age, you get a lot of new guys and a lot of clicks and a lot of guys on teams that have been here for a while and then new guys that, um, you know, have a hard time meshing or, or gelling together. But I feel like we have a very close team. Um, I think the leadership does a really good job of, um, you know, bringing everybody in, making sure everybody's. Uh, well taken care of, and um, you know I think that's going to you know pay off during the season when it gets tough. Bo Nix, such a important figure in the Pac-12, not just at Oregon, in the Pac-12. One of those guys where you look around the league and you say, hey, uh, there are just a few guys that have that maturity, that X factor. Bo Nix is one of them. Big, big expectations at Oregon. I don't think he's going to have any problem with the pressure. He's got a new offensive coordinator who has the uh, blessing of 
Um, you know, having him in his corner, I think it's going to be really interesting to see Oregon with Bo Nix under center. Let's run it back. Uh, could be a lot of fun this season. Eric Bieniemy, now in Washington, where the commanders are having a hard time with his style. Ron Rivera has had players talk to him and say, we don't like how Bienemy coaches us. Here's Bienemy speaking back. Punch well, first of all, one thing I am, I'm an open book, and I always invite players in. But also, too, as I've, I've gone through this process, yes, I am uh, intense, and I would be afraid, too, to start if I didn't know him. But on top of that, one thing they do appreciate is this. I'm always going to be up front, and I'm always going to be honest. Just like I stated when I first got here, we all got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable, okay? There's some new demands and expectations that I expect. I expect us to be the team that we're supposed to be. It's not going to be easy, and everybody ain't going to like the process. But when it's all said and done with, my job is to make sure that we're doing it the right way. There's a way to do it. Now, do they understand that? Yes, because they're seeing the results. Will everybody buy in? I believe so. But if not, it's okay. Because you know what? My number one job is to help take these guys to another level. And I can see it. Because when you think about where we started in the spring to where we are right now, we're making a lot of strides. I'm proud of these guys. It's been some, excuse my language, some good to watch. <laughs> I kind of like Eric Bietemi, but I'll, I'll add a caveat. I think his act is going to play better if the commanders are playing well on the field. If they're not, it, it's going to turn on him. You know what I'm saying? Like when you have Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are playing well and they're scoring points, and you can, you can be a little bit like Eric Bieniemy is. I got, I've got expectations. But I'm telling you, the pro players, if you aren't getting results, they're going to they're gonna chase him like dogs. Yeah, it seemed more... And I don't mean this in a bad way, but it seemed more like college, right? It seemed like a college rah-rah type of thing. Yes. I'm going to get after you. But when Sam Howell's throwing interceptions, can he really be yelling at people and getting people motivated? Now, I'm with you. I I tell you what, I didn't know what to think about being me. I heard that clip, and I loved it. I loved everything he had to say right there. But at the same time, it'll be interesting to see if the commanders struggle, just kind of like Colorado and Coach Prime. If Colorado struggles, how do they react? If Washington struggles on the offense side, how do they react to all the yelling and you know being out in front of everything? Two interesting uh, examples right there. Kevin Brown. We talked about him. He's the Orioles broadcaster. We talked about this yesterday on the show, who basically just said the truth. He said, hey, you know, the uh, the Orioles haven't played very well against the, the Rays. 3-18 and 18 last year, and this year playing better. Well, he got suspended. Fans heard about it. And fans broke out in a free Kevin Brown chant during last night's Orioles game. Listen, punch it. Made it look easy. Good athletes can do that, Debo. You yeah. I, I think that's one of the best defensive plays in the game of baseball. But going over the wall and going over making the wall, a pitcher happy? Man. Yes. <laughs> hey, y'all has got to make you guys happy. Mateo tried to hold his swing, and he did. <laughs> Broadcasters terrified to even address it. Free Kevin Brown chant.
Fans get it. Team doesn't. I heard a uh, a former president of a baseball team say it's interesting because if if it wasn't for the Rays comment and it was actually something else is why they suspended Kevin Brown, they would have leaked it by now. But since there's been yeah. no leak, there's been no reason to believe it's not because of what he said in the Rays game. I got to be honest with you. I kept waiting for like, we're going to find out that, you know, he said something inappropriate. We're going to find out that he did something inappropriate. We're going to find out that. You know, he uh, expensed something to the room service he shouldn't have expensed. I don't know. And none of none of, none of of that came out. It, it just appears I mean, to be that they, they didn't like what he said. This has turned on the Orioles really badly, right? Like, every, everybody's on Kevin Brown's side on this. No one's on the older Orioles' side. Pat Chun, he is the athletic director at Washington State. I asked him... If Wazoo fans should blame Washington, should they be mad? Should they be frustrated? Should they not want to play the Apple Cup? Here's Pat Chun on the subject. Punch it. I know Cougs do, and and I, I would just and and I believe those are uh, appropriate emotions, but they need to be expanded because this is like I said earlier, this is the totality of a failed leadership and uh, you know a flawed vision, uh, failed implementation. Um, you know, and then you fast forward, it's it's you know we. This, this league has been mis- grossly mismanaged, I mean, one could say for over a decade, and you just can't operate anymore, and that led to uh, dissension, acrimony, um, and then and ultimately to dissolu- dissolution of the conference. Pat Chun spitting truth on this show. If you didn't hear that interview, the full interview is available on podcasts. You should listen to it. Um, I, I think Oregon State and Washington State have a, a tricky proposition in front of them. Their media value not as worth as much as some others. Their brand not as worth as much as some others. Uh, Oregon State's got a really good football program. It appears the Mountain West and the AAC both want Oregon State and Washington State. I reached out to both conferences, officially told by both conference commissioners, Gloria Navarez in the Mountain West and Mike Oresco in the AAC. Directly both of them told me we're not going to comment on teams that may or may not be a candidate which tells you they are. But then I reached out further to individual school presidents and athletic directors who are painting the picture for me that the Mountain West Conference would take Oregon State and Washington State most likely right away. But Oregon State and Washington State also are going to get an invitation from the AAC, and they may be in a position, you know, look, it's not Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten, but they may be in a position where they could negotiate some favorable terms. There's also apparently some pushback in the Mountain West from some of the teams that compete at the top of the Mountain West Conference who are saying, I don't, we don't know if we want Oregon State in the conference. Because, you know, are they going to add that much media value? And, oh, by the way, are we ever going to be able to beat them? It'll be interesting to see that unfold. I got a couple of questions off of that for you, John. If Oregon State does go to the AAC, we've seen other schools from there be successful and go to bigger conferences, UCF. Houston, Cincinnati, is that a possibility for Oregon State to get back uh, into the Big 12 or whatever it would be? No, when I th- yes, in, in one sense, yes, because part of the equation if you're Oregon State is, you know, Oregon gets to think in a 20-year vision because they can afford to think in a 20-year vision because they're in demand. Oregon State has to think in a two-year vision. So if you're Oregon State, here are the things that would matter to me. In the short term... Can I get security? What is the media rights money and the payout for me? What is my access to the playoff? What is my travel for my individual sports? How is that going to work? Secondarily, 
what's the buyout in two, three, four years? If there is an opportunity for me to leave to the Big 12 or go to the Big 10 or go to the SEC or go to whatever anything is going to be called as it sort of reforms, 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 if I'm Oregon State, I don't want the $34 million buyout in the Mountain West Conference. I want a more favorable, palatable buyout so I can get to where I need to be. I need a stepping stone if I'm Oregon State. So there's some questions that go beyond the obvious money with Oregon State. I got one, it's the next step. I got one other question, too, about Pat Chun real quick. When he says he blames leadership in the Pac-12 for almost up to a decade, do you think he's blaming more on Larry Scott or Klyovkov or kind of both, both of both? Both. Both. I mean, I know the ADs, and ADs were frustrated as hell with Larry Scott mismanaged, but George had one job when he took over the took over the Pac-12 commissioner job. He had one job in that first year. Keep USC and UCLA. Make sure they're happy. Keep them. Don't lose your biggest media market. You're about to engage in a media rights negotiation. And on day 366, he lost USC and UCLA. Like, that was his, you know, I had one AD in the conference say, George had one job. Literally frustrated with George Klyovkov. And then he just he just didn't manage his presidents very well. He didn't get, maybe he didn't hire the right consulting firm. I don't know. He hired his friend Doug Perlman, who he had gone to law school with. He owns a consulting firm and has done some good work, but he's never done a college job before. There's, there's, there was some mistakes. There were mistakes made, a multitude of mistakes. That's why it's unfair to put this on Oregon and Washington alone and be like, hey, you blew up the conference. There was a whole bunch of things that happened in front of that happening that could have been avoided, and were not. Leave it here. I like to be accurate. I like to speak accurately. So Don, listening on Fox Sports Eugene, asked a great question. He said he was listening on Fox Sports Eugene, and he loves the show. He says, I find you to be an extremely intelligent and fair columnist and radio show personality. He's buttering me up. He says, I trust everything you say because you do your research, but I'm racking my brain because he heard me say that London was closer to the Midwest Big Ten schools than Los Angeles. He looked it up, and he found that the distance from Los Angeles to Detroit is about 1,960 miles, and Detroit to London is 3,760. He says, show me what I'm doing wrong. Here's where it's not you're doing wrong. It's what I said was wrong. A region at the University of Michigan over the weekend named Jordan Acker pointed out that the non-chartered travel from Ann Arbor to London and uh, it was shorter in duration than non-chartered travel from Ann Arbor to Eugene. He literally said, fact, it will take less time for our student-athletes in non-chartered travel to go from Ann Arbor to London than it will to Eugene. Should we consider adding the University of College London to another TV window? Don't give them any ideas. Do not give them any ideas. So what he's saying is basically, when you're traveling and you're not traveling on a charter in a as-the-crow-flies way, you're having to go from Ann Arbor to somewhere else into Eugene, probably Portland into Eugene or some other city into Eugene, you're going to be taking a longer trip then it would take you to go Ann Arbor, probably direct to London. So he's making that point that it's kind of a pain in the ass for the softball team at Michigan and the baseball team at Michigan and the volleyball team at Michigan and all of those non-revenue generating sports at Michigan to get from Ann Arbor to Eugene. So he's talking about the time, not the distance. I said closer 
I shouldn't have. I should have said longer. It takes them longer to get from Ann Arbor or the most of those Big Ten cities. I covered the Big Ten. I got to be honest with you. I, I said something to Anna. I said off air uh, last Friday over the weekend. You know, we were talking about the travel, and I said, you know, she said, are you looking forward to getting back to some of those Midwest cities in the Big Ten when you go to cover some of the teams like Oregon and Washington playing at Ohio State and Ann Arbor and and I said, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, excitement about that. But I said also, a lot of those Midwestern cities are kind of hard to get to. Columbus, Ohio, West Lafayette, Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana. It's not like you fly into Bloomington or West Lafayette. you got to fly to Indianapolis and you drive. Or you, fly, you find another city that's nearby and you drive. So you're flying into places like Chicago and Indianapolis and Cincinnati and, or you know even further south. And... Then you're driving or you're catching a collect, uh, connecting flight to a smaller airport in Columbus or Ann Arbor or somewhere else. And I, I can tell you, it doesn't, it's not fun. It's not fun. Those, those Midwestern towns that are college towns, they're just far enough away from each other for it to go, for you to go, eh, it's too close to fly. I'll drive. And then you're dealing with what? Weather? Ice, snow during football season. It's kind of a it's a pain. There's no better way to say it. It's it's a bitch. Some of those cities are hard to get to. I didn't miss it when I left there. I was covering Indiana basketball. I was covering Notre Dame football as a beat reporter. And then I was covering Purdue football as a beat reporter. And it was fun, right? The games are fun. Like Bobby Knight on Indiana. Those are fun games. Indiana's playing Kentucky. Indiana's playing Michigan. Indiana's playing Michigan State. Tom Izzo against Bob Knight. Really cool. Purdue had Drew Brees as a freshman. Ooh, Purdue's going to Wisconsin. Purdue's going to Ohio State. Purdue's going, you know, you're going to all these great places. And Notre Dame, great. Notre Dame's playing Purdue. Notre Dame's playing Ohio State. Notre Dame's playing Indiana. Like, it was fun to see some different things as a kid who grew up in California. But i got to be honest with you, it got old driving from Champaign Illinois to Evanston, driving to East Lansing, driving to Ann Arbor, driving to Columbus, driving to Bloomington, driving to West Lafayette. And I was like driving all over the Midwest and I was going, this just sucks. Sucks to be in the snow and you're driving slow and these towns, you can't really fly between them because it makes even less sense. Like, you know, you want to go to Seattle, Stephen, like you could fly, you could take the train, you could drive, you have some options. But if you're in the Midwest, and you're sitting in Bloomington, Indiana. You don't have a lot of options when they say, hey, you got to get over to uh, Champaign, Illinois. You're driving that. You're driving to Evanston, and you have to think about Chicago traffic. You're driving. It's, it's kind of, you know, they're just a couple of few hours away from each other. Just enough. And I to imagine make it hard. the scenery is not the best of drives as well to those towns. It's, um, it's. Like, uh, what reminds me of, it's not when you're on I-5, like in Albany. It's like when you get off the freeway and you see a two-lane road and you're seeing kind of farmland mm. and irrigation pipes. And um, and then in the wintertime, add like three feet of snow and some ice and a lot of truckers because a lot of the interstates there, uh, you know, friendly for uh, truckers to use. And But it's it's not the best travel. And so... I think the regent there at Ann Arbor was trying to point out, like, you're asking a lot of athletes who are used to going a couple hours in a bus or uh, a short plane trip. Now you're asking them 
to fly longer than it would take you to go to London. And that was his point. And it's a good it's a good point. But I, I love the listeners. Careful. Keep me on my toes. If I ever say something that you don't think is quite accurate, reach out to me. He emailed me. You can read me at johnconzano.com. We'll be back tomorrow with another great show. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.